My name is Randy Havens. I play Mr. Clark on Stranger Things, and you are listening to the Below the Belt podcast. These guys are helping keep the curiosity door open. The Below the Belt show is closed captioned for the hearing impaired. It is now time for the Bad Boys of Baltimore. Pips up. Goes down. Time for another episode of BTV Below the Belt in the House. I'm your host, Al Soto, aka Celebrity Soto, your host with the most here for your weekly pleasure, as we always do here on BTV. We're recording on a special Monday night through some scheduling um, conflicts uh, due to the panel, but nonetheless, uh, it's still a the great show that you expect every week on BTV. We're just recording on a, a night we typically don't record BTV, but nonetheless, let's go ahead and introduce the amazing panel that I assembled tonight. Starting with, that's right, co-host extraordinaire. He is the man with the common presence. He is also affectionately known as the Persian prince of pop culture. Also known <laughs> as the Zadi, <laughs> he is Mike the General Zod. Hello, hello. It's always uh, call me the anti-Garfield because I love Mondays because we're doing the show. Right. <laughs> That's a terrible, terrible joke, and I apologize immediately. That is okay. That is okay. I love it. <laughs> but it is the first thing I thought of is uh, everyone knows, you know. That lovable scamp, that that orange and black, uh, orange and black cat that you know was created the as the lasagna. Yeah, yeah, it was created by a. I mean, Jim Davis is kind of a psychopath in like how cynical it was when he created Garfield, because he created it entirely as like a marketing thing where it was supposed to be set up for calendars and everything like that. So, you know. Monday is Garfield Day. Monday is Garfield Day, and also tonight is BTB Day, guys. Let's go ahead and introduce, that's right, the lovely Aussie. Uh, <laughs> she is uh, very, very talented in so many ways. Um, she is a host. She's an actress. She's a singer. She's a performer. She's an educator. Um, the list goes on and on, right? Uh, <laughs> Jessica Ray Taylor, a.k.a. Jessica the Entertainer. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Jessica Ray, aka Jessica Ray the Entertainer. I'm so excited to be here this evening to be talking to one of the creators from, oh, am I allowed to say that? Yes, of oh, course you're allowed so to say that, right? yes. You're from actually doing my job, I was going to know. Spoiler alert. You're doing my job, but that's um, okay. From the creator of Strangest Things. 
That's um, right. And uh, right now, I just want to do a little plug, little shout out to our play that's going to be in New York Theatre Festival. So excited about that. It's um, a play called My Husband. And it's basically about, um, my husband is about a character named John who has early onset Alzheimer's and forgets his husband, Tim. Together, they recount stories from their past and played out in real time by younger versions of themselves in order to try to get John to remember. The oh, story God. takes place in the intimate setting of John's hospital bedroom, where they are later joined by their daughter, Joyce. As a gay family, they not only have to deal with the trials and tribulations of caring for someone with Alzheimer's, but also have to pull together and finding joy within each other's perspectives, looking back on their lives to retell experiences from different points of view, moments. Perspective and symbolism is what makes this play so raw, sensitive and serendipitous. With some comical relief, we do feel that many of our audience members will truly relate. So shout out uh, to this amazing play. And uh, we can also put the link in, hopefully when I share, when we share this, I can put Absolutely. the link for the tickets and we can put our Indiegogo link as well. Um, the playwright director's name is Houston S. Watson. It's his first play. So it's gonna be his um, first this experience. Is his, uh, debut. His debut, yes, off-Broadway. Um, we have assistant director and producer, Scott R.C., and then also I'm an assistant director, stage manager and producer. You are the assistant director. director. Wow. Um, yeah, and we have, for the first time, uh, I want to say for New York Theatre Festival specifically, we've actually put together a partnership with the Salvation Army Thrift Store, and they have agreed to create history with the first ever partnership and they're um, actually helping support our off-Broadway show by donating clothes for our show. That's fantastic. That's a wow. very, very uh, good Which cause. Which is so awesome. So, yeah, listeners, please come buy tickets, support our Indiegogo so that we can pay our actors and our producers and our directors. Yes. <laughs> You got to support off Broadway because everybody loves to support Broadway, obviously, because that's the the big dog in town. But yeah. uh, Stranger Sings is also an off Broadway play. Uh, so, uh, yeah, please, uh, you know, there's so many great productions off Broadway, not just on Broadway. So and this uh, this uh, this play based on your synopsis, I mean, it, it sounds really like some really compelling subject matter and based on. Yeah. It kind of reminds me a little bit like uh, I remember seeing Angels in America years ago. And oh, I just saw it, by the way, Zod. Oh, really? Which was amazing. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're probably much cooler than I am. I saw the movie, not the not the okay. play. <laughs> but it, uh, I mean, it sounds like a little bit. I mean, if it's even even near near as um, you know compelling as Angels in America was, sounds like this is a real winner, and I really really hope that works out. Well, fingers crossed. We have yeah. so too. We've already started our rehearsals, so we are rehearsing already. Um, we just want, obviously, to get the word out as much as we can. Um, <laughs> what's awesome about this show is it's like LGBTQ. You know, obviously, um, <laughs> we're also part of our Indiegogo. We're actually going to be 
giving money towards Alzheimer's as well. So that's, yeah, we, we're actually here. I have, um, what do we have? Yes, yeah, so it says, by, by deciding to support our production, my husband will donate 15% of our overall funds to the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. Wow, that's a big deal, especially for a kind of a shoestring production. That's huge. Yes. So that's what that's why we're trying to raise funds, because like it's yeah. not only just for us. It's it's for a really good cause. So like you're the assistant director. Have you ever done that before? Or is this like new ground for you as well? Well, I've produced this is my third. Well, this is probably my fourth or fifth rodeo producing um, a project, mm -hmm. which is like not off Broadway, but Obviously, I also had an opportunity to produce Baltimore Next Media Web Festival as well. Um, and I had previously produced or helped, I guess, um, on that side of things, an off-Broadway show as well, which was called Defendant Marie Chevalier. So, but this is my first time assistant directing. Mm -hmm. Wow, so, first time assistant directing. Yeah. Does that mean you actually have to be at every rehearsal? Yes, it does. Okay. So do you do as an assistant, what, what do you do as an assistant director that's separate from what a director does in the play? I think that, um, you know, tough question. I feel like. Oh, sorry for putting you on the spot. I know. No, that's okay. I feel like assistant directors, we kind of are doing what the director's not doing. So mm -hmm. the director's obviously making all these, has already made all these choices once the actors to go, okay, stage left, okay, stage right, okay, mm -hmm. these are your directions, this is what you'd be doing. Um, I feel like the AD, so like assistant directing, especially with, as far as theatre is concerned, we still do get to work one-on-one -on -one with the actors. So I'll be working one-on-one -on -one with them about their character analysis, script analysis, um, beat breakdowns, that type of thing. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. Right. Right on. But and I feel like I, every production can be different, like differentiate about what assistant directing is. It really depends on what production you're dealing with. I'll let you yeah. Know. If there's a production company attached to it, then there's mm -hmm. a certain, you know, there's obviously like a certain amount of roles that are like, okay, this is already taken. You're not going to be doing that. But it's something that you're producing um, yourselves. It just, it's kind of like, who's going to take this one? You know what I mean? Like who can do this? Gotcha. Who can do that? Let's let's figure out like the best way to, I guess, collaborate. And then also not only that, but save time. So for instance, let's say the director's working with War of the Leads. Um, during that time, I'm going to be in the green room working with the chorus actors on, you know, whether we'd be talking about props, movement, um, set design, like moving the set in between scenes like whatever we'll be working on is something separate and different but just so that we can save time very nice we're gonna have a link in this this uh description of this show if you're listening um to uh get tickets and more information on um on the my husband um theater production in new york city so Wow, this is great because now we're going to be welcoming Jonathan Hogue, the creator of Stranger Sings, and all three of us have got a chance to see this great off-Broadway play, which is a parody of one of our favorite shows on Netflix, Stranger Things. And uh, Jessica, you're a new fan of Stranger Things. You had the pleasure of uh, joining me for the Stranger Sings uh, 
show in New York, and uh, you're now a fan of Stranger Things, yeah? Yes. I mean, first time. So I just, thanks to you, because you're like, yeah, Jessica, you're gonna have to stop watching that. I'm like, yeah, that's a, that's probably probably right. Um, so I'm on season two right now, episode three, because I got as far as I could. Um watching Stranger Things and everybody's been talking about it anyway I knew that I was gonna have to see the show but like in general seeing the musical first without having seen you know obviously the movie I had absolutely no context going in there like you can read the program you can read about the characters you kind of get to know like oh this is the synopsis if you've never seen it but there are a few like little quirky things that you just would not know unless you've seen, unless you've seen the show. Yeah, I mean, like one of them where the a big thing in it was justice for Barb. <laughs> like, if you didn't know who Barb was from the show, you might not get why that was kind of like a kind of a funny and ironic spin on the on the Stranger Things story. And but yeah, I'm I'm it was. Had a great time watching it. was pure joy, yeah. It was a lot of yes. fun. And we're going to be talking to Jonathan really shortly. So while we're waiting for Jonathan, let's throw out some uh, entertainment headlines. Actually, Zod, you had an improv show recently. How did that go? Because we didn't uh, we didn't get to ch- uh, check that one out this past Saturday. I knew you were uh, on the show. Yeah, we had a, uh, we had a show, my, my group, Full Transparency, which is something I was always kind of loath to... Um, do too much uh because you know unlike uh, all of the other illustrious guests on the show i'm generally more i'm not i'm not as seasoned a performer and entertainer and been in the industry as long as uh <laughs> other people have but okay. i really that's, think that's i found fair. my niche in um improv because yes you have i've been really enjoying it a lot and we're actually having some success now i mean i actually I actually had a paid gig a couple weeks ago, which, uh, I mean, they gave us, uh, they gave my group $30, so I got a whole 375 okay. you, you got You split, split uh, amongst the group was 375 <laughs> Yeah. <Okay>. But, <laughs> so they got stuck somewhere, Zod. And yeah, that's, so that, that's... that pays for parking with 70, 75 cents left over. So, yeah. yeah, I could probably get some gum or something afterwards. <laughs> but... <laughs> But, you know, the Baltimore Improv Group is, is fantastic, and I know that's where you got your training. I know you've uh, branched out and, and now doing your own thing. But, uh, yeah, I hope to one day uh, take some improv classes myself. So. Yeah, I can I can tell you, it, even if uh, whether you want to make a uh, make it into a regular thing for yourself or just want to develop, if you're just a, a regular Joe like me and uh, want to develop some confidence and have some fun playing stupid games – and bringing out, you know, my like for me, it's just a, you know, when I started doing improv, I found my people, people who didn't roll their eyes when I made stupid jokes or <laughs> like wanted to play along when I did stupid shit, which I do a lot. Okay, <laughs> well, you, you have a little bit of that camaraderie here on BTB, but <laughs> of course, of course, of course. although Chachi would tease you about it, but yeah, of course. And I and it's, uh, but but I'm just saying in general, like, and I would love if you and Chachi and everyone else would do it together too, so we could all do a jam and play dumb games. That's like, cool. Jessica, have you ever done improv? I have. Improv is so much fun. They used to always kind of throw us on the stage at Lee Strasberg Bowman Theater Institute. There I go again, just yeah. like throwing names out there. 
Um, we, yeah, they used to just kind of tell us that the words didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And just to get up and we should know the scene. You should know how your character's feeling. Okay. Right. You should know where the scene is headed. You should know, you know what's happening. And then just... My wheels started turning because we usually have a special topic every week. But why don't we, the three of us, uh, for the second half of the show, why don't we do an impromptu improv segment? Okay. I mean, there's nothing more impromptu than that with no very little preparation because that's usually how improv goes. Right, right. During the classic cut break, we will uh, think about some scenarios and then then maybe Zod as the ringleader could – we can do – Maybe a five-minute improv uh, skit. I think that would be fun. That's something different. I, we've never done that on okay, BTV before. Okay, I, I, I'd be down for that. Okay, Jessica, cool. Would you be good with that? I mean, I'm down. I'll, I'll do whatever. You know what I mean? That's I actually, cool. I, I had a, like uh, another thing I was thinking about, and I, I'll talk about it a little later after we. But um, I had a lot of fun playing with ChatGPT today, and one of the things I asked it to do was write a promo for Below the Belt show, and I'll read it read it aloud to you later really? tonight. Really? <laughs> within two minutes, with well, not two minutes, actually two seconds, it wrote this promo. It's actually kind of it's it's kind of hilariously wrong because it's nothing like the show, but it's still funny. Right. That's what AI is. Sometimes it yeah. things right. But let's hear it. I mean, do you want it now? Yeah, you go ahead and read it. Yeah, sure. Okay, let me find it. You might want to fill up the time. No, that's okay. No, that's all right. And so Zod's going to go find it. There, you know, AI has been just crazy. I was in Austin, Texas, and uh, my friend Eric introduced me to this this very uh, very similar to what Zod is talking about, where you can just type in anything, and it will just <laughs> generate these AI images you know, I asked for. Well, this one is specifically more like text-based than images, but yeah, it's uh, because. Yeah, I mean, this is this is probably images, going right. to take my job someday. I'm going to tell you. That. It's going to take a lot of people's jobs. AI. Yeah. <laughs> Except for performers, I think people would rather see real actors. Well, you know what? There's a lot of AI actors out there too. God damn it! So I, yeah, I don't know if, yeah, if they if they continue with deep fakes, I mean, if eventually. They do deep fakes, yes. Yeah, that's it'll thing. be. That's a, it's definitely affected, for mm-hmm. sure. But right. you have a promo for Below the Belt show. Okay, so I I wrote into ChatGPT, write a promo for the podcast Below the Belt show. That's the only prompt I gave it. It didn't. I didn't tell it anything about the about the podcast or the show at all. And this is what it came back with. And and mind you, this came back in a second, like literally a second. Get ready for a knockout experience with the Below the Belt Show podcast. Hosted by Al Soto, this weekly podcast takes you ringside to bring you the latest news and interviews from the worlds of boxing, mixed martial arts, and pro wrestling. But it's not just sports. You also hear entertaining discussions on movies, TV shows, music, and pop culture with celebrity guests from all walks of life. With insightful analysis, exclusive interviews, and plenty of laughs, Below the Belt Show packs a powerful punch. So join the fight and tune into Below the Belt Show, available now on all major podcast platforms. That was like eh, 75% accurate because BTB had when evolved. When have we ever talked about boxing? <laughs> well, not so much boxing, but we have evolved from a uh, you know pro wrestling, pro wrestling uh, show uh, from our early uh, early days of Below the Belt Show. But uh, Zod, that's probably about 75% accurate. 
Yeah, I guess so. And it's like I actually uh, I, I asked it to edit it a little bit because I was curious about. Oh, crud. Hold on. I well, lost. they knew they knew Al Soto. They knew yours truly. So, I mean, yeah, but... <laughs> they knew you. <laughs> that is pretty freaking cool. I got to admit, guys. For sure. Well, I also I asked it for a lot of like other really random stuff. Like I asked it to write me a script about the very first time someone put olive oil on vanilla ice cream. Yes. And... <laughs> That you suggested that, didn't you? Or yeah, was it the you, balsamic vinaigrette? Like, yeah, well, olive oil and balsamic vinaigrette. And literally within a second, it came back with this rich script that had two separate time periods in it with four different characters. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, it was like essentially, I mean, it wasn't that deep a script. It just like it, it almost seemed like it was like some like commercial or almost for it. But still, yeah. I mean, it came back with that so fast and wow uh, it's amazing it is absolutely amazing um what uh what uh that was able to come up with even being able to um handpick my name from the ai interface you know from i guess from its internet searching and, and stuff and, and descriptions and coming up with their own thing it, it was great that was pretty cool man so i did ask it to uh, i did do a follow-up where i asked it to include some of the Al's co-hosts. I was yes. curious to see if it would mention me. <laughs> okay. And, and it, didn't. it did not. But um, it said uh, it included, um, you know, get ready for a knockout experience of the Below the Belt Show podcast, yada, yada, hosted by Al Soto and featuring a roster of top-notch co-hosts, including <laughs> Michael L. Kramer, actor, producer, director, and the voice of the WWE. Actress produces... Christina Michelle, known for her work in film, TV, and theater, and Aaron <laughs> Static Render, pro wrestling expert and former wrestler himself. <laughs> okay, that's completely wrong. <laughs> they got Al Soto right. I gotta give them. I, don't, I have no idea who those other people are. Are they people? Neither do I. The They've never even been ever a guest or co-host <laughs> on Below the Belt Show in the history of our show. So AI is not perfect, but you know, yeah. it's, you know, it's doing what it can. So. And when I finally asked about what about Mike the General Zod, it says, "I'm sorry, I do not know who that is." <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Zod. Well, uh, that that's pretty cool, man. But um, yeah, let's get some entertainment stuff okay. um, out of the way before we bring on Jonathan Hogue, which we're excited to talk about. And then the second half, we're going to do um, our improv uh, um, segment. And um, of course, uh, General Zod, do you have a comic book uh, highlight of the week? Um, I mean, we can talk about something. Um, I really enjoyed... Um, there's a storyline going on in the X-Men titles that isn't quite over yet, so I don't know how it's going to end, called Sins of Sinister. And that's been a really, really fun ride. It's been spanning a thousand years of this bizarre alternate universe where um, some really bad things that Mr. Sinister did has started to come to fruition, and you see how it like affects the pretty much the universe. And that's been kind of a fun ride. It's written by... This writer named Kieran Gillen is like one of my favorite writers, so that's been. But yeah, we could this we is, could talk. That's that's the current storyline uh, for the X Men right now. The sins of yeah. Very cool, very cool. Um, well, great. Well, let's let's throw let's throw out a couple headlines. What the hell, right? So here sure. we go. All right. It is time for the Hollywood Report. That's hot. That's bananas. That's off the chain. Baby, they're always complaining 
not sure how much we can uh, throw out before our special guest, but we'll do what we can. Um, Super Mario Brothers, still the number one movie in America, earned an additional $58 million in its third week. And um, it's interesting to note that Super Mario Brothers is well on its way worldwide to crossing the one billion dollar mark that completely exceeded all expectations on would it be the the biggest grocer of 2023 so far you know what it might it might be yeah i think so because currently it sits at 871 million and i think it exceeded the marvel movies and um not 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 avatar actually avatar well Well, avatar Avatar. Avatar well, Avatar is still considered a 2022 movie. You're I mean, right. Sorry. You're yeah. right. You're absolutely right. Although, I mean, I, I would imagine most of it, like, because uh, it came out at Christmas, so most people saw it in 2023. Right. So it could have been. It could have been Avatar. We might have to fact check that one. But um, still, a number one movie, and I still have yet to see it because yours truly doesn't have much free time. Um, <laughs> but the number two movie is evil dead rise uh that uh that earned 23.5 million at the box office and um it's in the um same vein as sam raimi's 1981 um thriller the evil dead and this one's a story about two estranged sisters who attempt to save their family from demonic creatures Mm -hmm. um and so far it's gotten really really good reviews um so definitely want to check that one out I, I uh, love the Evil Dead movies. They're so much fun. This should be Although, on our list then, Zod. Yeah, it, this should be. Like, when you when you texted me about seeing a potential movie, like, uh, this is one that obviously my kids won't bug me about seeing. So <laughs> <laughs> this one might, might be a winner. We, we got to keep off with Chachi. Chachi sees all the movies, and I, I can't this, really comment on them. <laughs> this, is, this or Bo is Afraid, that's another movie I've been really, it's caught my eye that I really wanted to see. Bo Afraid is with Joaquin Phoenix, right? Yeah. Yeah, where he he uses aging makeup to make him look like an older character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Uh, from what I've seen in the trailer, it looks really good. Now, this one, even though it was the third movie, um, third place film, it's it's actually kind of bombed because it only made $6.28 million. And it's a war um, war thriller starring Jake Gyllenhaal, and that's um, The Covenant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though it got good reviews as well. Um it's just that people aren't uh, people aren't checking it out, and but you you mentioned Bo was afraid that made two point seven million, so a lot less in comparison. And then you have the the John Wick four movie with five point seven five, and Air the biopic of the Air Jordans um, with five point five million, so that rounds up the box office. And uh, interestingly enough. Um, a little bit of news on Super Mario Brothers. Well, more so uh, the first Mario Brothers movie in 1993, which was lauded as pretty crappy compared to the the, the animated one that's that breaking the box office. But uh, John Leguizamo has been very vocal about the film. At first, he was very upset that they didn't include any Latino characters because apparently the game is staying true to the video game. Uh, even though John Leguizamo played Luigi in the 1993 movie, um, and then he he was ta- he talked about the dark dark vision uh, that the filmmakers had 
um, for the Super Mario Brothers. I mean, why would you make a Super Mario Brothers movie uh, for adults? But apparently, John told GQ magazine that yeah. apparently they thought the film was too dark, too adult oriented. And he said that the party scenes were strippers from North Carolina and they put them on set and had the most revealing clothes and costumes. And Disney was not happy. You know, you know why they, they thought to do that? Because that, that came out the year after um, the Tim Burton Batman movie came out. Yeah. And prior to that, I think most people saw Batman as, you know, just a uh, I mean, the vast majority of people in you know, in America and the world probably saw Batman as still like being like, you know, the childish campy like Adam West type thing. And then Tim Burton made this like super dark, maybe not for adults only, but super dark, um, brooding, like gothic um, production. And they've probably thought, well, if it works for what they what everyone in the world thinks is a kid's property, like a superhero like Batman, it would probably work with something like Super Mario Brothers. And turned out they were wrong. Yeah, that's interesting. That that the the whole Batman comparison to it, um, because yeah, I mean, obviously doing with anything with superheroes, it you initially think it's geared towards a younger audiences, and then yeah. and then they just kind of well, then you kind of you go into these questions of like who's in charge of that? You know what I mean? As far as like hiring a bunch of strippers or hookers or whatever they were, and and like <laughs> having them take their clothes off, like. <laughs> there's definite decisions that are happening in film and it's like if you can get on the right track and make the right decisions then it's not gonna be weird but i feel like who's making those decisions I well know. it's kind of a, it's kind of a double-edged sword because um sometimes you make you take a huge risk by making this like out of left field decision and it really pays off and something like really great comes out of it. And um, let me think of an example. Like Willy uh, Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, that's that actually had some very dark moments, too. Mm-hmm. That, that kind of uh, go over some kids heads, you know, but it did have right. some moments, especially after rewatching it as an adult, you know. And as well as like Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're all Tim Burton. Tim Burton did a lot of these, right? Yeah, yeah. So maybe Absolutely. it's just Tim Burton had the magic touch with that. Yeah. Yeah. He he did a successful um You know what I would really Oh okay, love here's to another see? example. Here's another Oh yeah, example. go ahead. Um okay, so Guillermo del Toro recently did Pinocchio, a new version of Pinocchio. Right. And it, if you haven't seen it yet, have you guys seen it? No, I haven't. Okay. I haven't seen Guillermo del Toro's version yet. Okay, first of all, I highly, highly recommend it. It is, I mean, it, they actually have a have an exhibit at the MoMA right now about like the making of it, and it has props from um, from it, and that's actually oh nice, really eye opening. And when we were in New York, we went to the MoMA also and saw it there. But that movie is dark as fuck. <laughs> Like there's a lot of a lot of things happening in it that are like legitimately distressing and disturbing. And, you know, Mussolini is a character in that movie and it takes place during like fascist Italy, you know, right before World War Two, like right after um, Mussolini's taken. It might be actually in the early stages of World War Two because there is bombings. But anyway, there's there's some really, really dark subject matter in it. 
and it's still a phenomenal movie. And it's okay. like my kids saw it and they they enjoyed it. And I mean, of course, like I mean, I wouldn't recommend that every kid sees it, but it's like, a, but that's an example where you take something like Pinocchio. Pinocchio is this like beloved, you know. Uh, I, Disney icon and everything. Which like they're that. they're going to have a Peter Pan um, Disney film uh, that's going to go straight to Disney Plus, I believe, next month, right? So there's different iterations of like, uh, you know, all their favorite, uh, you know, fairy tales. You know. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, that's a that's that's an example I can think of. It's just, I mean, I know we're digressing heavily from Super Mario Brothers here, and so, <laughs> we always it, do that on every show. Yeah, there is um there is something that I would like to see remade, and I would love to see the doc version of it as well. I'm not sure if anybody's seen it, but it's Return. Is it Return from Oz or Return to Oz? Oh, the one with the um. That's the the sequel to the Wizard of Oz with like the, yeah. the roller skates and the oh. yeah, that would be cool. But they also have the Wicked um, Broadway adaptation that's going to be live action too, and that's like a prequel for the Wizard of Oz too. So I believe that will also have a darker take as well. So at the Cannes Film Festival, this is the upcoming 76 Cannes Film Festival. Some uh, films have been announced for the slate including Jean-Stefan Xavier's Black Fly, starring Sean Penn, and Catherine Corsini's Le Retour. Um, and along, along with those films, Robert Rodriguez's Hypnotic and Kim Tagon's Project Silence. They're going to be part of the Midnight Screening roster. Uh, also, Amat Escalante's Mexican drama, Perdidos en la Noche, and Argentinian director Lissandro Alonso's thriller Eureka, starring Vigo Mortensen and Jose Maria Lazpic, will also bow at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, so just a couple films to look forward to. One of the, I mean, that's the big fest. That's the big film festival that I have yet to attend. But we announced also on Below the Belt show, Johnny Depp will be returning to the limelight at the Cannes Film Festival with a period piece movie, Jean Dubarry, and, uh, which is crazy. I mean, uh, you know, he, we didn't think uh, Johnny Depp would make a, a comeback for a long time, but here he is. He's going to have a film that's going to be the focus of this Cannes Film Festival. Well, he, he, he banks some goodwill, I think, in the whole uh, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard drama. Yeah. Yeah, he certainly got some goodwill for that, for sure. Um, so that's coming up at the Cannes Film Festival. And if you were a fan of the Insidious movie, I don't know, Zod, if you've ever seen that Insidious film, they they just uh, dropped a trailer um, for Insidious The Red Door, which takes the horror franchise back to the present. Because apparently they had two installments that served as the prequels. They decided. Is to Insidious do... part of that whole like paranormal activity like universe? That's where like with like what Annabelle is it Clarabelle or Annabelle? You know what you're thinking of the Conjuring. Oh, uh... <laughs> that's another horror franchise. The Conjuring was about Annabelle and Annabelle creation and the nun. 
yeah. those are kind of like intrinsically linked. Um, so what is this, Insidious about? Which one is that? Well, it's a, it's basically a haunted house chiller. It's uh, Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne. Um, That's okay. They were in the original um, film 10 years ago. Is Vera Farmiga in it too? Vera Farmiga, I believe, was in Conjuring. She was in Conjuring. Yeah. So, so I'm getting my horror franchises mixed up. That's, like that. that's quite all right. And it happens. It happens. But um, um, that's another, if you're into the Insidious films, the trailer just dropped for that. Um, and speaking of horror, um, Faces of Death is making a return. It's a reimagining of the 78 horror film, which a lot of us maybe see, saw as kids and thought it was real because it was, you know, shot <laughs> like a documentary. Yeah, sadly, and I will never watch it again. <laughs> I think it, it's, it's funny. I, I saw I saw parts of it, and I remember it had reached a uh, it had reached a huge like it was a huge part of in when I was in fourth and fifth grade. It was a huge part of like the schoolyard zeitgeist. People talked about it, and there was always this one kid who was like, "Guess what? I saw Faces of Death." And um, <laughs> I know. Can you, well, then you're making a new one. This is going to be. Uh, we talked about Barbie Ferrer from Euphoria, Dakri Montgomery from Stranger Things, and just joining the cast, Charlie XCX, who I'm a fan of, mm-hmm. who recently took the Coachella stage, has joined the cast as well, um, which I think is cool. I guess she's kind of expanding into acting, you know, kind of like uh, how Jack Harlow is as well. Um, which is interesting. Uh, also in production, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger is set to star in Expendables 4 director's Scott Waugh's upcoming film, Breakout. Right. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So th- this will be at the upcoming market in Cannes, and he'll be in the role of Terry Reynolds. And Terry's uh, stepson is framed and sentenced to 25 years in a foreign country. He makes a mission to break him out of jail. Um, and at 60 plus years old, let's see Arnold Schwarzenegger back into his action hero mode, right? You know, I'm trying <laughs> to save his stepson that was framed in prison, you know? What was the um, last movie he did? I'm trying to think of the last thing. So I the thought. last movie that he did was Terminator Dark Fate. Um, and then he's going to be in a Netflix series called Fubar, which is going to be dropping in May. Ah. Uh, so there you go. A uh, couple other movies in production includes um, a film called It Ends With Us. So this is uh, based on Colleen Hoover's best-selling novel. It's Brandon uh, Skellner from 1923 and Blake Lively, who we love. Big fan of Blake Lively's. And also Justin Baldoni. And um, so, yeah, um so uh, the 1923 actor Brandon will play the role of Atlas, and uh, Blake Lively will take on the role of Lily Bloom. So there you go. Um, so it's based on the book. It's a big screen adaptation of the book, which follows Lily, who who has a complicated past as she meets a neurosurgeon while living in Boston. Although she believes she has found her soulmate over time, she begins to question their relationship. And to complicate things more, Atlas from high school – comes back into her life as well. So looking at a kind of a love triangle of sorts. 
also Brian Cranston of Breaking Bad fame uh, will be working with Allison Janney in a film called Everything's Gonna Be Great. So it's an upcoming film from Scottish director John Baird. Um, and uh, this particular film um, is uh, basically um, an ode to big dreamers whose dreams don't necessarily come true. It's about individuality versus conformity, fantasy versus reality, and it's about family. Um, as the, a family moves from one state to the next, they cope with loss and struggle with identity. Uh, while performing in regional theater. So is this a uh, um, a family of, of theater actors that that move from state to state? Okay, I guess I guess that's what I'm gathering from that. Uh, but it's Brian Cranston, so it's fucking Breaking Bad. I mean, you know it's gonna be, <laughs> you know, he's a great actor. Uh, Scarlett Johansson announced that she is done with Marvel. She actually had an interview. On a recent podcast, and um, she said that the Avengers was a lot of fun. She did that at 26 years old. At the time, she was single, and it was fun. And um, apparently, she also said, I'm done. Chapter is over. I kind of did all that I had to do. Also, coming back and playing a character again and again like that over a decade of time is such a unique experience. So she was also on the podcast with Gwyneth Paltrow. And Gwyneth Paltrow, of course, um, she's all about doing, you know, returning as Pepper Potts, of course, you know, uh, which I imagine she will. Um, but um, are you sad to see pretty much uh, Scarlet, you know, confirming that she will no longer return to the MCU? I am a little sad because I, mean, I did like Natasha as a character. Yeah, me too. Yeah, Yelena Belova has, you know, has definitely been, um, and Florence Pugh is fantastic. In fact, I, th- I kind of think I like Florence Pugh's version of Black Widow, I think, better than... Um, okay. Than, so it's um, not a major loss. Yeah, I mean, it's... Scarlett Johansson is far and away the more recognizable and the more iconic character, is the much you know, more important character in Marvel comics compared to Yelena Belova. But I mean, it's, it's clear that, um, you know, uh, Marvel has big plans of what they're going to do with Yelena. So, you know, there, she's going to probably going to be the lead for Thunderbolts and, Oh yeah. You know, and I, I would, I would be shocked if she didn't have a big role in the, you know, the upcoming Avengers movies, the two Avengers coming out. So I think, uh, I mean, I think uh, as long as it's an amicable um, split, then I can understand. uh, I can, I hope um, Scarlett feels like it was a good experience for her. And I hope she made enough money to not have to worry. And, you know, she's uh, she can be still be the breadwinner for her talentless husband, which I kid because I think mm. he's, I think talent Colin Jost is awesome. Oh, he's awesome. He's, he's a very yeah. lucky man. <laughs> he's a very lucky man. I'm actually he dated up. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of a lot of my insulting Colin Jost is because I am insanely jealous of him. Of how, <laughs> like, you know, all the things you he and went me both, for, man. Come on, for, like. 
He was the um, the editor of Harvard Lampoon. He got to be a writer on Saturday Night Live. He was a lead writer on Saturday Night Live. All this right. stuff that I've always wanted to do my whole life. And, right. Uh, and he's marrying Black yeah. Widow. He's yeah. married to Black Widow and has kids with Black Widow. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's crazy. So, so fuck you, Colin Jost. I'm so insanely jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, um, Let's try to figure out what's up with Jessica. Jessica, um, your mic is mute. Hi. Hey, are you back? Hi, guys. I'm back. I just cannot get my video to work. I don't know what is going on. Okay. I, I have a feeling all the guests would much rather see her on oh, of course. On love video the than, are you kidding than, me? Than, than either of us. Right. <laughs> so um, <laughs> so uh, we're a waiting. Much, a much better view than than either of us are. We, you know, I'm a big fan of the Aussie, of course. Um. Uh, while we're waiting for the Aussie and, of course, our special guest, uh, Jonathan Hogue, uh, to join us, um, the creator of Stranger Sings. Let's start some Netflix stuff. Um, I haven't seen um, The Last Kingdom, Seven Kings Must Die, but apparently um, it's gotten a lot of um, positive yeah. reviews on it. So, um, anyways, let's go ahead and uh, I think we're welcoming our special guest. So, here we go. Um, all right, we got Jonathan. Can hey, you hear us? See us okay? I can see you. Great. You Is hear? your last name pronounced Hogue? Hogue, yeah. Nice, nice. That's perfect. All right. Cool beans. Uh, both of us have seen the show, so we're excited to talk oh. about it. So I even got my Hellfire Club shirt on. You know, I got a <laughs> theme there. All right. Love that. All right, guys. Our special interview here on Below the Belt Show. We welcome the creator of Stranger Sings, a parody musical that has a, a current run off-Broadway in New York City and, of course, the website StrangerSings.com. We welcome to the create. We welcome the creator of Stranger Sings, Jonathan Hogue. Hey, everyone. Hey, Jonathan. Good to have you on BTB. Happy to be here. Yes, and uh, myself and General Azad are, friend, are, are fans of Stranger Things, and we're both delighted for the opportunity to see Stranger Sings, and we both we both loved it, man. It was a fantastic, fantastic musical production. And it was the it was the very first um, very first uh, live play that either of my kids saw, and they absolutely ate it up. They were, they had so much fun at it. Oh, that makes me so happy. That's incredible. Yeah, and the play certainly is like Zod you mentioned um, for families, but uh, you know there's a couple more um, mature themes I guess kind of you know thrown in there as well. But uh, Jonathan, you intended the um, production to be for all audiences. Yeah, I mean you know it's it's funny because I actually really wasn't thinking we would have a lot of kids in the audience because the TV show is so dark. You know, I mean like the fourth <laughs> season is like you know straight out of uh, you know Wes Craven. You know, so it, yeah, it's that's so true. It feels so kind of like I, I was you know, right, really writing it for adults and for, for teens, maybe. And then there's all these kids that love Stranger Things that are, you know, uh, under 10. <laughs> and so, you know, and they're loving Stranger Things. So I'm like, you know what? Great. Like, there's a couple little things in there for the adults, but a lot of it is is seems to be landing with kids, too. And if they're watching the TV show and can handle some of the darker stuff, then I think they'll have a good time at Stranger Things. So that's been our kind of. Uh, yeah. I'm there so yeah so where does the where did the genesis of the um of the play come from i mean obviously i'm assuming you're a you're a big stranger things fan but like how, did you, how did you decide i want to make a musical out of this yeah 
No, I've never watched Stranger Things, so I completely guessed. So no. <laughs> <laughs> No, I uh, so I was such a huge fan of the first season. Um, I just kind of stumbled upon it as most of us did back in what 2016, I think, when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and it just it, like you know, I had to watch it all in one sitting. I was just so like amazed by the, I don't know, it felt so familiar to me. I think that's what I loved about it. It felt like I was watching like ET and the Goonies and all these kind of movies that I grew up on. And, uh, and, and yet it was also this really interesting new story and it was like captivating and there's all these interesting twists and these, this whole world that you don't quite know enough about yet, but every season you learn a little bit more about it and, and the characters are so richly sketched out. And so there's just so much about it that I loved. And, um, I also was really loving the internet discourse about the show. There's so many like little parodies that were coming out of, of, you know, bar justice for Barb. And, uh, and, you know, of course, Winona Ryder and Joyce and like, are they the same person? Are they different? You know, so there was a lot of stuff <laughs> there that it was just really just generally funny content. And um, and and so I had grown up with uh, a deep lovers, comedy, satire. You know, I was watching Saturday Night Live and Monty Python and Mel Brooks and all of these kind of famous satirists. Um, and uh, and I in high school would write these. I was an actor, and um, I would write these parodies of shows that I was in with my friends, and we'd perform them at the final cast party for the show. And uh, and I loved doing that. It was just like I there was something about like taking something that people knew that was familiar, and then kind of flipping it on its head, and and either adding some sort of commentary to it, or doing something that's completely subversive and funny and strange. And um, and so I just had kind of this like natural inclination towards parody and satire that when I started kind of can, you know, putting together the, 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 the stuff that it was already seeing the fans kind of latching onto with my own ideas of parody musicals and what that world looks like. And my kind of lifelong love for, for satire and for musical theater, it was like it, the ideas were just like popping in my brain constantly. And I was just like, okay, if nobody else is going to write this, then I guess I am because I had never written a musical like fully. Um, and, uh, like a, a, a you know, a full length musical. And I just, for whatever reason, was like, well, let, let's just start sketching this out and see what I can come up with. And it, it was kind of this pet project for like a year where I would just sing things into my iPhone for, you know, a, a long car ride or, or at work or whatever. And, so cool. and then it, it just snowballed into a full show. And now we're here. I mean, it's it's oh, really yeah. like the, this craziest journey. And uh, um, yeah. So. so as a parody, there's no blessing needed from Netflix or the Duffer Brothers or the the producers of Stranger Things, correct? Right, right, yeah. So satire, satire and parody is kind of uh, in its own world of of kind of commentary on an original uh, intellectual property. So it's kind of like you know, again, Mel Brooks, Saturday Night Live, all these satirists—they're not like being uh, uh, produced by the things that they're they're um, parodying, you know. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of their ability to take something that everybody knows and then make their own commentary on it. Weird Al, uh, is another one of those where it's like, you know, he's not getting the rights from the song, the song owners. Oh, he, does, he does ask for permission, I think. Does he? Yeah. I mean, I don't know that he gets the rights specifically. He probably does reach out for, for, uh, just verbal permission, but in terms of like legally getting the rights or acquiring the rights and that whole process, which is like a, a whole thing that can take years and years. Yeah, it's uh, there. There is protections within copyright law that allow for satire and parody to exist, which has been uh, a, a breath of fresh air for us. So, <laughs> oh God, yeah, have you gotten to any? Have you? Have that's you? That's what happened. That's what happens. Yeah. 
Have you heard any acknowledgement from like the Duffer Brothers of the play's existence or anything or like cast. that? Yeah. Or the cast or anyone from the show? Yeah, so we uh, so Gaten Matarazzo, who plays Dustin, uh, <laughs> found us back in 2018 when we did our first concert because he's he's a Broadway kid. He's doing like he's doing Sweeney Todd right now. He's doing he's, Sweeney Todd right now. That's right. And a bunch of shows. Um, a, a lot of the kids actually from the show are from theater. Um, but uh, but yeah, he found us on Instagram just out of nowhere when we were first publicizing it and said it looked cool. And of course, you know, we were trying to get him to come to the show and he was filming the TV show. So we haven't had anybody from the TV show see the show yet. I know they know about it. You know, uh, one of my producers just ran into David Harbour the other day and talked his ear off about the show. So he says he wants to come. We'll see. But, um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm sure they know about us at this point. I actually, uh, um, sort of fun fact, I actually was a background extra on the fourth season and there were a couple of no. I was, you know, right next to the Duffer brothers. Like, should I tell them I wrote the show? Are they going to freak out? <laughs> so was that, was that just some, some kind of like strange, like, you know, just act of providence that happened that you happened to get, a, get some work on the show or were you actively seeking it out? I, so it was during COVID, my parents live in Atlanta. And so I had, you know, fled the city for a period of time to kind of, yes. uh, um, you know, there was, they're, they're filming stuff down there and there was a the TV city, show down yeah. there. And I, I didn't really have anything else to do. So I was just applying for kind of work as a background actor, stand in that type of stuff. And then stranger things, you know, texted me one day and was like, can you come to work on Monday? And then I ended up working for a couple of weeks and, um, it was like a total dream, you know, cause I was just like, I love the show more than any other show. And so getting to be like in the world with all these actors is was cool but um and, it, and and you know of course did steal it i did not steal anything from the set and put it in the show <laughs> were you clever. featured on the show did you make the cut uh not necessarily featured i was i was a stand-in which is kind of uh where yeah so you're kind of like helping with the crew where you stand in while they're setting up the camera shots some of the stuff like, the i'm an extra in a couple of scenes i'm like in a crowd you can you know, pause it and try to find me but it's not terribly exciting so but um okay. but being on set was the, the fun part but anyway so no, that's okay because yeah, I, I just also wanted to comment on on your casting for Stranger Things because you, it seems like you were very good at getting uh, cast lookalikes, especially the Barb actress that yeah that's performing now. Um, oh, and she was fantastic. Like, she, has, she she like put on a tour de force, especially that <laughs> solo that she has. Yeah, well, were you, were you yeah. going looks the look of the the actual characters and the talent, or both, or one or the other? Yeah, you know, it's funny people say that because we really weren't thinking about looks for it. Um, I think so. I I will say I think the wigs and the costumes definitely help a lot. But I think yeah, what we were looking for was just like the essence of these characters. You know, and it's interesting because you have an actress or you have like the actress who has to play Eleven and Nancy are two very right. different characters, and so finding very somebody different. to do both is really like having to cast it for the parody and not for. Stranger Things, if that makes well, sense. Well, did you did you always write it envisioning the same actors would play multiple roles? I actually didn't. It, the very first version of this was was like twelve or thirteen actors, something like that. It was a lot of people, and and you know, budget wise, we're a small off Broadway show. We had to continue to pare it down, which actually was great because it really strengthened the comedy of the show. Because then we have, you know, Steve and Jonathan now double as the same person, and it's you had this <laughs> added joke of it's the same guy that Nancy's in love with both of them. 
Um, we added a, a new thing for this production was Will, the character Will, being played as a puppet that Joyce. Is, is, is <laughs> I was did. curious about that decision. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. So we did this show uh, on the um, down in the West Village in 2021 as kind of a developmental production, and um, that one was funny because that was we had nine people, and so Will was a person, and we were trying to figure out what to do with the character will because it's a parody and every character kind of has their own you know satirical spin to it and um and i, we were, I was kind of struggling i had a song for will and it just wasn't really landing with the audiences and i was kind of struggling with like well what is what is the joke of this character and then when we got to this current production we were talking about you know scaling down the how or the the cast and um you know, what, what options do we have? And I thought, well, Will's not on stage very much. He's in the upside down most of the show. So can he double with anyone? And then my director and I were talking about like, well, what if Will's a puppet and Joyce is puppeteering him? And I was like, oh, that's funny. Oh, <laughs> that's really- why you did the puppet. Oh. I was wondering about that. And, <laughs> and you're I, right. He's really just missing in season yeah. one. Cause you kind of loosely adapt season one, but then you bring in some elements of like other seasons, like the, the, the scoops ahoy. Right, right. And that was fun, too, because when I first wrote the show, the first version of it, it was written right after season two. So we didn't have Scoops Ahoy, we didn't have, you know, Vecna and all that stuff yet. And I, and I always knew that writing a parody of Stranger Things, you'd want to kind of keep the, the plot arc of season one, because that's kind of the classic Stranger Things. And, you know, otherwise I'm having to write a new musical every time there's a new season, because, I mean, it's like, how 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 can I predict what what's going to happen in the next three seasons and write it now? So. That means um, you have to do another one. <laughs> you got to make a sequel, yeah. So much happening in the show now. But um, but it was funny because uh, uh, as we got new seasons, I was always thinking about, well, what are the things that the fans are latching onto that are kind of like the highlights of each season? So I had a number for Steve and Dustin based on them being kind of, uh, you know, um, the, 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 the bromance between them. And I was like, okay, I need to have a moment for them. And so I changed the context of the scene, kept the song, but changed the context of the scene to be at Scoops Ahoy. And then, you know, with this new season, there was running up that hill was a big takeaway from that. So I oh, added gosh, a little yes. in there for that. So there's, there's lots of little things, which is great. You know, and even when season five comes out, I'll probably add in a couple of little nods here and there, yeah. but the, are you the, going to, are you going to write Max as a bigger character? Cause I think, she just appeared as like a background character in the did she yeah max was hard because i i uh she's not really in it very much right now and part of that is because having her presence there at all feels like we need to address vecna then it's just a whole nother show yeah it's also hard putting billy then you gotta put in uh yeah yeah I like having little nods, but it's hard because, you know, for the sake of trying to get this 90 minute show or this, you know, two hour show and really focusing on the uh, the kind of the, the major plot points of, of what we're going for here. It was easier to just let the, the little the one teen romance be uh, Mike and Eleven and not have the Lucas Max and all you know, like having so many different. Plot yeah, lines. there's so a lot of plots there. Enough plots in this in this production now that I'm like. Oh man, make people go crazy. So yeah, but, uh, I miss Mac. Well, so- one another thing I liked uh, was um, the focus on uh, Winona Ryder's. Uh, yeah, uh, not not uh, more, more. Well, obviously it was Joyce, but you had like a, a part, uh, a segment within the the musical uh, with some of her notable characters, or like for instance Beetlejuice and 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 yeah. and Edward Scissorhands and you know just characters that she interacted with in in her other work. Well, how did that come about? 
Yeah, well, that was honestly one of the the first songs that I kind of had in mind when I was writing this because I was like, this character is such a, she's so manic on the TV show to 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 a point where it's almost you know it's kind of why people are getting were were making these little parody videos of her, and and <laughs> I you know there with the has, has a little bit of a history in Hollywood and and the oh industry. yeah so there was there was the meta commentary of of when the first season came out of like, is she playing herself or is this, you know, is she playing a character? Cause she'd been gone for so long too. And all we knew about her was what was in the tabloid. So, so I was playing with that. And, um, as it was developing this, that song, I was like, well, what if, what makes her crazy is that, you know, this, this version of herself, that's Winona Ryder is like speaking to her. And so there's like, you know, she's got obviously got the Beetlejuice and then her scissor hands and all these kind of like kooky yes. dark things. So I was like, well, what if all of like, she's got this split personality that's like fighting with her and those characters are representative of that. And so that's, that's really what kind of built that out, which was um, really fun. And I, and I love, you know, all those movies. So to have a nod to them in my show is, was, uh, was, was exciting. That was great. And the yeah. actress that played uh, the Joyce character, she got Winona's, uh, just the mannerisms and her yeah. delivery, you know, like the, oh my God, you know, like just, I, I, was, I can't really do the impression, but it was, she, she was spot on. Yeah, she was. <laughs> and she was also a pretty good ventro- a puppeteer too. <laughs> so. you know, I, I got, I have to say, I, she, cause she played that role when we did it in 2021. And uh, it was funny cause she didn't have to puppeteer Will at the time. And so when we came back to do this production at uh, Play Us 46, where we are now, uh she uh you know we were getting ready for the run and we were like hey caroline are are you okay puppeteering she's like what like you know because she thinks she's coming back to do the exact same show we're like well no you're playing will now and she's like what and uh, <laughs> what? she was a little intimidated at first we brought in like a puppet uh you know like a uh a professional puppeteer to kind of give her some tips on like different ways to make the character breathe and do different things stuff like that and so oh. um but yeah i mean she's she's incredible i mean she's just like uh, uh caroline huerta is her name um and she uh yeah she's just like a master of comedy like knows how to nail a bit like she's just like very specific and tight in everything she does and obviously has watched Winona writer uh her mannerisms pretty specifically so a lot of that's getting thrown in so yeah it's it's been fun of course i remember winona's reaction at the the sag awards when stranger oh, things went there except that were remember she was just kind of looking in the space <laughs> I used to have a line about the SAG Awards, and I was like, "Yeah, no one's gonna get that. I gotta get changed." So yeah, <laughs> that's true. I I would have gotten it, but uh, um um my co-host, my guest co-host Jessica Taylor is in the chat. If you wanted to unmute, because you actually saw Stranger Things with me, but you were not a Stranger Things fan, unlike Zod and I, who are big Stranger Things fan. But you ended up becoming a fan, right, Jessica? Absolutely. Hi, Jonathan. Thank you so much for being here with us. So excited yeah. to meet you. Oh, likewise, likewise. Sorry that my camera's not working. Um, oh my gosh, in general. It, okay, so my whole thing is I got to see Stranger Things first. And I'm a huge theatre goer. I've been in theatre and touring internationally and um, nationally and doing the whole theater thing for a very long time. I want to say I've been in the industry for probably 20 years now. I seem like I'm young, but I'm, no, I'm not that young. Um, so <laughs> just coming in and seeing 
Stranger Things, the musical, and not having seen Stranger Things at all was, it was kind of just like phenomenal. You're going through this timescape, you know, you're moving through time, there's all these things that are happening. Obviously, um, I... I was struggling a little bit because there were like little bits and pieces that you you just wouldn't know what was going on unless you have seen Stranger Things. And I don't want to do the whole spoiler alert, but there is definitely one thing that I wanted to really discuss with you because you are the creator and this is so exciting. I love having you here and in general, this is like awesome. So, Okay, I'm trying to word this so that I don't spoil it for the viewers out there who haven't seen Stranger Things, the musical, and maybe they haven't seen um, Stranger Things yet, but there is a character that falls in love with a monster that <laughs> never happens in the, in the series. So yeah. who made that decision? And I'm not going to say who it is because I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. I mean, that was that was uh, my decision. I'm trying to think when that came about, because I think it was something where it was just a throwaway line at one point in that scene that she has. Um, and uh, and then as we kind of started adding choreography to the show and staging and I added uh, uh, we had we added this dance battle at the end of the show now and a bunch of things we that that whole kind of arc it got flushed out over time. But, uh, but yeah, it was just like at first, just kind of like a surprising little, little twist in the scene. And then it became a whole, a whole thing, which has been really uh, quite it's fun. It's a whole number. Like it became this whole song and, you yeah. know, and also this moment between these two characters. So I was waiting for it to happen in the show. Yeah. Like in, in the actual TV show, because I, you know, and then I was like, wait, that it never happened. I'm like, oh my god, I have, we have to talk about this. It's, yeah. it's so it's so insane. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny. You know, I one of my favorite things is uh, when people come see the come see the show and then afterwards say, oh my gosh, I never watched Stranger Things and now I'm gonna go home and watch it because I didn't know that character. Or, or or yeah, well either they'll say they 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 haven't watched it and they want to watch the show or they say, I only watched the first two episodes and now I know how it ends because of your show. So I want to go watch it. I'm like, well, it's, it's actually a little, it's very different. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little different. It doesn't exactly go the same way that the show goes, but yeah, part of my, my, uh, I don't know, my, my idea for, for where that went was just kind of built off my own, uh, desire to subvert what people were expecting from the show and also play into the things that the fans mm-hmm. were kind of, and talking about already so it was uh yeah it was fun right on now the show only has about Thank two you. more weeks left um jonathan we, yeah before you wrap up or, may 7th is our last show oh wow I mean, honestly i i enjoyed so much of it i could sit here and talk for an entire hour by myself <laughs> with you, jonathan, because i enjoyed so much of it uh the roller skates i mean i don't want to you know, obviously I'm not going to ruin the show for everybody, but, you know, the roller skating, um, the set design was so much fun. The costs were absolutely like what Al said, spot on. The costs were just like so, they were so similar. Just they looked like they could have been them. They were just, I, I mean, casting did a fantastic job. Wardrobe did amazing. I love that Will was a puppet. That made it so much more I don't know, interactive, and also I could see that the younger audience members really enjoyed 
Will for having been, you know, a puppet, which is so awesome. And I mean, the entire cast, so talented, but it does take a very so talented. talented. Yes. Or just oh, all of them. Just so much light and shade in there. So many beautiful moments and each cast member. I think some of them were playing like two and three roles, right? Oh yeah. We have about fifty characters all the way through the show that are played uh by our actors. It's pretty crazy. Is the goal to get it on Broadway? No, we're we're very happy with small, intimate, you know, off Broadway has been perfect for us. It's uh yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the the thing about Broadway is obviously it's it feels like it's the end all be all of theater, but the thing that's that's really what what the industry is 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 what kind of what kind of space do you want to play in? And our show works the best when it's small, intimate, that you're close to the actors. It's it's kind of scrappy, and and that's kind of the magic of it. So we've been very happy off Broadway, and you know now we're we're uh, we're running in the UK. There's a UK tour going out, much bigger venues. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, All right. Very oh. Yes. Are you gonna are you, Australia you feel, uh, as well? It's 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 uh we've we're we're expanding, which is great. But uh, in terms of New York, Off Broadway's been our uh, our yeah our peak. So so after you know, I ends... love that it was so small, and I love that it was so interactive, and yeah, that really definitely made the show completely um, more like we were all engulfed in it. Like you almost felt like yeah. everybody was going on this time zone on yeah. this trip. Like yeah, it was such an incredible experience. Um, thank you, Jonathan. Yes, absolutely. And now that it is ending on May 7th, as you mentioned, Jonathan, do you intend it to tour in the U.S.? I know you mentioned U.K., but what about other other great states in the U.S. to, to check it out? Yeah, we're still working out the details, but that's that okay. is. A, yeah, for sure. Awesome. Wow. Well, that that's that's uh, where you got to go is StrangerSings.com, people. Um, do you have any other projects in the pipeline that you're working on? Yeah, I've got a, uh, I've got actually a parody of uh, Friday the Thirteenth that I'm working on right now, which is uh, sort oh of sweet. They, uh, it's more. Are, are you sticking? Are you are you sticking in your wheelhouse with parodies? Like uh, that's what it's you think. Funny. I uh, I love parody. I mean, I think you know, I could I could easily get stuck in that where it's just like, what movie are you parodying next? I think for me, yeah, I, you don't want to suddenly become like the Zucker Brothers, where like that's all okay. you're right. No, I mean, I look kind of like, you know, I'd write, I'd love to write the next Book of Mormon, like, you know, just like really strong musical comedy satires. I think the thing about parody is people kind of look at it as like this, like very exclusive genre of things, but it's really in everything. Like it's, it's, I mean, so subversion is such a, um, uh, a common tool uh, used in comedy and anything. And so um, even if it's not explicitly a parody, it's like so much of what what jokes are in certain comedies is, is things where it's playing off of an expectation or a cultural, you know, icon or whatever, and then flipping it on its head and doing something funny with it. So I, I really want to keep writing um, comedy and, and, you know, musicals and, and satires, but, um, but have a couple parodies in the works. I'm also working on one that's not specifically a parody, but it's, it is a comedy that's kind of satirizing uh, Hollywood and award shows. So it's this, this <laughs> act who's, basically has to kill all the competition in order to win her Oscar and keep her career. <laughs> it's, it's very silly. So, uh, so yeah, those are, you that know, is great. I love it. 
Wow, Jonathan, this has been incredible. Great interview. Of course, uh, people, please check out uh, StrangerSings.com, the website uh, where you can purchase tickets uh, for those in the New York area and those visiting the New York area. You got to you got to check this out. Stranger Things fans uh, got to check this out. Um, great show. Fantastic show. Very talented uh, production team and cast. And uh, we loved it. Love yeah. it, Jonathan. Oh, Jonathan, one more question for all of our writers out there and all of our um, aspiring writers. What would you say has been the most challenging part of this process? Yeah, a lot. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's not easy. I mean, it took us five years to get this thing to a full production. And, uh, and I think part of it is just, you know, uh, luck and opportunity that comes with just meeting people and networking and getting yourself out there. I mean, I, I really wasn't a writer. Uh, I didn't consider myself a writer when I was writing the show. I was just doing this as a pet project. And then uh, luckily got some friends on board. Uh, excuse me. Uh, a little sick here. <laughs> getting over a cold. I uh, was, uh, yeah, I was just kind of working with my friends to try to get these little concerts up. And then eventually the more I was able to get it, get the show in front of people uh, and grow like an audience and a fan base for the show and having producers see it and, and come on board for it, that that's really when it was able to make it to where it was. So I guess my, like my advice really is just like, get your, get your work in front of people, like get it out there, get people to hear it, engage with it in person. That's really made a world. Showcases, workshopping, is that kind of what I'm hearing? And reading concerts, yeah, just anything to really like let people engage with your work. Because if I just you know walked down the street and said, oh, I wrote a Stranger Things parody, most people would be like, oh, I hate parodies, or I've never seen Stranger Things. (laughs) But then they come, you know, they hear the music, they see the performances, they they get what the world is, and they go, oh, wait, I actually do like this. I didn't even know I liked this, and and then they, you know, so that's the that's the the Mm -hmm. challenge I think, but it's. uh, but if you put yourself out there, I think usually you find people that, that really want to come on board, which is fun. Awesome. Well, Jonathan, before we let you go, if you could do a little promo, let us know who you are. Throw out a uh, plug for Stranger Sings and throw out a Stranger Things or Stranger Things catchphrase or something at the end. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, it was the name. And what was the other one? Uh, Below the Belt Show is our, is our podcast. Uh, sorry, it's, it you can helps. introduce you can introduce it's, yourself. It, introduce yourself, then um, mm-hmm. let everyone know that you're, you're the on creator Below the Belt of Stranger show. Things, and you're yep. the create. Yep, and you're on Below the Belt show, and then throw out a little. Yeah, you throw a bar from the and, song. You could, <laughs> or add in a, a bon mot of your choice. <laughs> uh, hey everyone, uh, my name is Jonathan Hogue. I am the writer and producer of Stranger Things, the parody musical, playing off Broadway. And in the UK right now, um, happy to be a guest on the Below the Belt show. And uh, keep calm and justice for Barb. Rock on. Justice for Barb. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, thank you so much for joining BTV. Yes. Hey, awesome. Thanks so much, guys. This was so fun. All right. Thank that you. Was, great. Thank you. Have a good night. All right. Bye, you Jonathan. Bye. Bye, Jonathan. All right. Now that we've concluded the interview, let's go ahead and take a classic cut break, which I decided to play a song from the Stranger Things season one soundtrack. And of course, it's not running up that hill because we already played that song and it's been played to death on radio stations. But this is a, a great 80s song that I guess I didn't recall was in Stranger Things season one until I looked at the track list. And this is a band called Africa. 
And the song is called Toto. Don't you mean the other way around? Oh, sorry. <laughs> and the band is called Toto, and the song is called After. <laughs> so you can hear this. Unless it's and, a really deep cut. <laughs> and then following that, our uh, on-location interview conducted by Chachi McFly, about an actress that was in an 80s movie called Valley Girl with a young Nicolas Cage, and her name is Deborah Foreman. We talked to her at Monster Mania. That interview uh, directly right after the classic cut. So let's listen to the classic cut and the interview. We'll be back here on BTB. guys we're here at monster mania the day is winding down but i'm excited for this interview you know you know her from the movie valley girl you know her from real genius you know her from april's fool's day the girl's busy this is deborah foreman deborah how you doing i'm doing really well thank you awesome awesome uh, you're like the original valley girl um oh my God. what was it like filming um the movie valley girl and like how much do you think that that movie influenced the culture of the valley girl culture I think the Valley Girl culture was already around. I think we just sort of jumped, uh, dovetailed onto it. Um, Moon Zappa had done the song. Her and her father had done the song. And so um, we dovetailed onto that. That's my opinion. Um, but it's a romance. It's a Romeo and Juliet story. So it's like an endless... That's, that's like an endless kind of story that is any... Uh, you know, it goes across any age group and any period of time. So... I'm happy to have been a part of it. It's great. And then you played Julie. You played opposite of Nicolas Cage, a very young Nicolas Cage. Um, what was he like back then, you know, just starting out? I know he was in um, Fast Times uh, for, like, a small scene. And then um, this was his, probably his first big role, I think, that he did. He did Rumblefish as well. Okay, that's right. Yeah. So then this may have been his third one. Um, I, 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 I got distracted. What was the question oh, I again? Said, what was it like working with him? Like, how was he oh, like okay. a young Nicolas okay. Cage back oh, then? He's awesome. He's extremely creative. We worked a lot the same. We would, you know, we took our notes and we did our homework, and um, we just immersed ourselves into the role. I've always said, and I, w- I say this a lot, that he is the love of my life between the words action, action, and cut. So I know the difference. I know art-wise, I know the difference. But yes, absolutely. And he's still he's still the best guy that you work with. No, I like Sam Jones. Okay, okay. So Sam Jones. And I also work with Zach Galligan, yeah. who's, uh, who's an awesome human. So I had the chance to work with some really lovely men. <laughs> I'm the lucky girl. <laughs> well, they're, they're very lucky, too. Thank you. <laughs> now, um, they actually remade um, Valley Girl a few years ago, and you had a cameo in there. What was your opinion on the, um, the, the remake? So I haven't seen it. Okay. I will never see it oh. um, because it's... It's too close to the story that I was a part of. And that was like making a home movie with friends. So it would break my heart to see other people playing Julie and Randy and our story. So I will never see it. I didn't read the script, but I was happy to be a part of it, to share my brand 
for their to help them with their film. I, I was happy to do that. Okay, okay. So you still enjoyed having a cameo in there and Absolutely. representing the, the real Julie. Yeah, <laughs> I represented. <laughs> <laughs> well, any um, funny stories with um, Nicolas Cage back then on the set? That no, you remember? I Nothing. have no stories to share Nothing. with you. Nothing good? Oh. My lips are sealed. <laughs> oh. Just like the Go-Go's, or lips are sealed. Well, well yeah, right. Just like, that's right. <laughs> and you filmed you filmed in some of the iconic malls back in LA. One was the the Galleria Mall, right? Uh, no, we did it at the Del Amo. The okay. Del Amo Mall. Well, the, wasn't the Galleria for the external shot for the movie theater? I thought. I don't right. remember that part, but the interior yeah. part was at Del Amo Mall. Well, well, back in the day, what were some of your favorite stores at the mall back then? Do you remember? <laughs> Casual Corner. Ca- yes, I Ju- that. Judy's. Ah, do you remember Ah? A H. It was A H H H H H. Ah. It might have been just a West Coast chain. Look, yeah. I remember Casual Corner. Yeah. yeah okay. We we'll looked right. that up. It's a it's a neat store. Okay. Okay. I love the eighties. One of my favorite um, decades, definitely. Um, and you were in so many great uh, movies, like Real Genius, working with uh, Val Kilmer. Yes. What was that whole experience like? It was good. I was very short. Remember, I'm only in a couple scenes. Right. So, um, and Martha Coolidge directed that. She brought me in because we had just done Valley Girl, and Brian Grazer didn't believe that I was going to pull that line off. So I actually did two different variations of that scene, and I pulled the line off. So it's in the movie. Oh, great. And every every actor has like you know the one that got away like a movie they tried out for the role they really wanted that didn't they didn't get any you have any of those kind of regrets yeah, or whatever kind of, some kind of wonderful oh were you okay yeah for the Leah Thompson role oh wow okay. I wanted that role bad oh. I did audition but I auditioned when Martha Coolidge was actually going to be directing it okay and then something happened she fell out and then Hoyt, Howie Deutsch was put into it so yeah that one I didn't oh, really wow. like that one. Now I hate I hate remakes, but are there any of your projects over the years that you think could would deserve a remake? Oh, remake, yeah. remake. Uh, not necessarily a remake, but maybe, an, maybe a sequel. A sequel. I yeah. think Waxwork number three. Which one? Waxwork, Waxwork. Okay. number three. Awesome, awesome. Uh, or April Fools number two. April Fools, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I would love that. And any good experiences at these comic cons, like um, any marriage proposals or anything like? <laughs> Yeah, a few people ask me if I'm single. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. This weekend? Yeah. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> her lips are sealed. Her lips are sealed. Uh, another one. I'm not saying. <laughs> no, I'm with a dude. Yeah, I've got okay. a dude. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> is he in the business or no? No, no okay. Not. okay. Does he watch any of your old movies oh, with you? No, okay. No, no, no. All right, all right. No more questions. No more. All right, all right. Well, I'm here with Deborah Foreman. Can you just let us know who you are, some of your projects, and like you're listening to Below the Belt show? Okay. Deborah yeah. Foreman, and I starred in Valley Girl. I starred in April Fool's Day, Waxwork, My Chauffeur, and this is the show called Below the Belt Show. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And that was now stand corrected Toto Africa, <laughs> <laughs> and of course our interview Chachi McFly interviews Deborah Foreman. For that would be that would be such and, a great shtick for a band where like all of their songs like they change the name of the band for each song and <laughs> and they name themselves whatever the song is and then. There, so it doesn't even have to be a cover or anything. It'd be a totally right. different song, but like, be like, yeah, we're African, we're playing Toto, and then saying, yeah, yeah, we're sympathy for the devil, and we're playing our song, the Rolling Stones, or like, uh, just keep going on like that. 
yeah i don't know i think it's good things but <laughs> it's like, yeah. all right let's uh, throw out some tv stuff we got movies out of the way um we just talked about netflix stranger things well the duffer brothers are working on their next project as you know they're the guys behind stranger things and it's of course coming down to its final season uh, whenever that that's going to be released but they have a new sci-fi series the duffer brothers called the burrows so it's going to be eight episodes and it's a supernatural mystery and the log line is it's a picturesque retirement community in new mexico an unlikely group of heroes must band together to stop an overworldly threat from stealing the one thing they don't have time wow Hmm. interesting so um, the Duffer Brothers will be producing. Um, Jeffrey Addis and Will Matthews will be the showrunners. So I guess the I guess the writing will be on the hands of the Duffer Brothers, and the the showrunners uh, will be um, doing the other aspects of the production. But uh, that's cool. It sounds like an interesting. Uh, you know, obviously Stranger Things is coming to an end, and uh, I'm sure they're ready to go on to their next project. So. Also on Netflix, uh, The Last Kingdom, Seven Kings Must Die. So this is a movie from Universal that's going to be on Netflix. And it's um, based on the popular uh, British historical fiction TV series. Um, So it follows um, a violent relationship between the Anglo-Saxons and the Viking invaders in 9th century England. Vikings. yeah, basically uh, picks up where the series le- leaves off if you uh, watch the series. Yeah, uh, it's one of my favorite seasons. It's actually one of my favorite um, TV shows, Vikings. Yeah, so you're going to be yeah. watching this uh, feature film on Netflix? Definitely. I Definitely. Will. The Last Kingdom, Seven Kings Must I Die. I really should watch more historical stuff, I think, because I, I love it when I see it. And you know, I never do. Like, I've never seen Vikings and... Maybe I'll make it a point too. Maybe I you think make honestly, it it's better than Game of Thrones. So everybody. Oh, has those are strong. Wow, those whoa! are birds. Whoa, whoa! Yeah. For the the biggest Stranger Things, uh, sorry, the biggest Game of Thrones fan right here. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, one more cool thing on Netflix: Robert De Niro is going to be in a limited series called Zero Day. Interesting enough. We're seeing more and more like A-list movie actors do TV shows, and I guess Robert De Niro is doing one. Um, he's uh, joining Lizzie Kaplan, Jesse Plemons, Connie Britton, and it's a political fear, uh, thriller. And uh, we'll revolve around a former president, George Mullen, played by De Niro, a complicated figure who's pulled out of retirement to lead a commission that's investigating a massive global cyber attack. So as I'm reading here, this is Robert De Niro's first ongoing role in a TV series. Interesting that he's never been in a TV series before. Um, and one would think Leonardo DiCaprio would be another one, but he was in a show called Growing Pains <laughs> before he <laughs> made it big in the movies. Yeah, and I guess George Clooney was on Family Ties. And exactly. He, and so they are, are, I guess. Not Family Ties. No, what was it? Um Facts take of life. Good, you take the bad. That one. Facts, Facts of, life. of life. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So there you go. Um, over on Disney Plus, um, I just checked out the trailer of um, 
American born Chinese, and I know Zod, you were a fan of the graphic novel and the uh, yeah. the author, um, Glenn Yeah, Nguyen he's Yang. a Dean Nguyen Yang is such a fan. He was so so great to talk to and super smart guy. So yeah. Yeah, but I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but I, the, have, I have not. I have not. The trailer looks fantastic, and of course, yours truly was at the premiere at South by Southwest, and I got a sneak peek of the first two episodes. But as you know, it's a uh, coming of age, um, I guess, supernatural um, series because it's all about mythical gods uh, amongst um, the the life of, of a high school student and the high school student also dealing with being an American born Chinese and dealing with stereotypes and dealing, uh, you know, his day to day interactions in school only be complicated by these mythological gods that that. Uh, appear within the show so it's a very cool cool story um he made he's made a superhero version of that story in dc called monkey prince which is about a uh, an asian an asian an american-born asian kid in high school who has well he becomes a superhero becomes this like mythological um chinese mythological figure called the monkey prince and it's a, it's it's been getting a lot of good traction in DC. Got to check it out. Um, so yeah, check out um, American Born Chinese. Um, that's on Disney Plus, and of course, um, if you're a fan of uh, Disney Plus's National Treasure: Edge of History, that's been canceled after a single season. So basically, this comes about two months after the series wrapped in February um and uh just wasn't a big hit you know i mean i really think if if uh nick cage was in it it might have been a different story but uh you kind of have to have nick cage in something that's national treasure based in my opinion but because they didn't have nick cage in it uh you know it wasn't uh it wasn't success on disney plus so um there you go on that one Let's talk about this Mandalorian season three, episode eight finale episode. Wow. It was great. It didn't make me cry like season two. Yeah. I got to say it was a little like it wasn't as good as previous season finale. No, I agree. But I feel like this finale made up for the lackluster in betweens. I'd say it felt a little rushed though. Like they um, really, I don't know. I mean, I thought like it really got into its stride, like the the pen penultimate. It's not pentultimate. It's penultimate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was correct on that one. Yeah, the the penultimate episode I thought was awesome. Like I was like, oh my god, that was really great. You know, and <clears throat> I don't know. It seemed like uh, there was a lot. Like you know, I would have thought that. I mean, are we talking spoilers? Are we going to? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I would have thought that um, Moff Gideon... Moff Gideon seemed a little... Like, I don't know. It. I had to rewind it to to see, like, what happened to Moff Gideon. Because I missed it when he died the first yeah. time. That's the thing. Yeah, did he die? That's the thing we don't know. The, in, in the rules of sci-fi horror whatever the genre rule is if you don't see a body mm-hmm. they're possibly still alive now yeah, and, he got, and he's and he was already talking about clones and everything and he was so. already talking about cloning so the thing yeah. was 
Moff Gideon, even though he got burnt in that explosion, supposedly, and of course, Din Djarin and Bo-Katan and uh, Grogu were protected by Grogu's use of the Force against the blast. Mm-hmm. It appeared that Moff Gideon was, you know, burned to a crisp. But you have to remember, number one, Beskar armor is very protective of a lot of things. But also, now that you mentioned the cloning, could Moff Gideon been cloning himself in a different location other than the clones that we saw that were destroyed? Oh, Mandalore, yeah. And, yeah. That would, and that would make sense because yeah. still, there's still a loose end uh, about... I forgot the character's name, but um, like Moff Gideon's like little henchwoman that's on. Course. Yes. What, yes. What I, I, I don't recall her name, but the actress name is Katie O'Brien. OK. OK. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, she's had several different names because she had like the number name as, at first. And then they introduced her as a, as a name later in the season. But uh, yeah, that's still a hanging thread, um, I guess, uh, as far as uh, her involvement. But uh but I really think that Moff Gideon could possibly be alive in the fact that he did survive that blast, or there's another clone that that mm. was intact because we did see the clones that were destroyed when when Din Djarin, um destroyed the cloning compartments, and you know that was a pretty crazy jump scare <laughs> when the clone yeah. opened his eyes and we saw Moff Gideon like, and then we kind of just jumped out. Um, <laughs> But um, more importantly, uh, we saw that Mando is now the adopted father of Grogu. What do you think of that? I actually thought that had already happened, <laughs> <laughs> which is like, uh, which was a, a little, because everyone, everyone talked about, hey, he's your kid. Are you, are you taking care of him and everything? And they'd already, I think uh, the bigger deal with that is the um, now that he's the adopted father. I mean, now that I, I guess it's in like Mandalorian society, they're, you know, weird, intricate customs and they're, you know, it's it's almost the equivalent to um, like it's almost the equivalent to like a christening, I guess, for uh, for Grogu, I guess, in okay. in terms because a, a christening is where like I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not. I wasn't raised Christian, so I don't know. If, but I know you were. Like a, yeah. a christening or a baptism is supposed to be where like you're um, you're kind of like introduced to God. Isn't that how that works? Like, isn't that what that's supposed to represent? That's, that's, yeah, that's one way of, of, of putting it because once you're baptized, you're, you're considered, you know, um, I guess, yeah. One with God. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, um, and that, and that's what they did in the Mandalorian, but that kid at the end of the episode that was getting baptized again, was that the same foundling that was in, or is that a yeah, different? Yeah, that foundling? was that was Paz's kid. Paz. Why was he? Why was he baptized a second time? I don't think he, he was, was baptized the first time. He was like they gave him. They they had the thing where he got the helmet. Oh, you know what? They they it was interrupted by one of the big creatures in the. Yeah, wasn't think, he the one? He was kidnapped by the big pterodactyl. Okay, but I thought they were in the process of of do. Uh, I, I recall that they were. You know, he was doing his whole spiel of being mm-hmm. baptized and taking the creed. Yeah. So I guess they they considered it not complete and they did it a second time. So that was another thing. I was like, why is he why is he taking it the second time? But uh, yeah, I guess now he's Din Grogu, which is uh, interesting. So Din 
is like the so Din Djarin like surname the surname right so now Din Grogu so uh but that's a I, that's not even consistent with like Mandalorians because wasn't Boba Fett Jango Fett's son <laughs> wouldn't it have been the uh, Fett was the surname yeah so I don't but, know it's a little bit those are the little details that kind of that whatever. we're nitpicking at Zod you know yeah. it's like it could be different factions it could be it's just a or it could just be a sci-fi thing where like you know maybe Mandalorian society is way more complex and way more yeah. than we think <laughs> I don't know. yeah but a lot of people thought that the side story of uh Bo-Katan Katie Sackhoff's character trying to reclaim Mandalore and, and getting all the Mandalorian people together was a little distracting from the overall story of Mando and Grogu do, do you agree with that or did you like the that separate story it strikes me that they're trying to expand out the um you know the i guess the um they're, they're trying to like it's no longer just dinjarin it's not a dinjarin show anymore it's more right. of a it's more of a um uh, ensemble show right. um bo got as much if not more screen time than din did and bo was the one who um I mean, by the end of it, it seemed like Bo-Katan and uh, Din Djarin were kind of like co-leads. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I was wondering if there was going to be some romance between uh, Din Djarin and uh, Bo-Katan Kreese, because we haven't seen that in uh, in Star Wars in a while, romance, you know? So. Disney doesn't really do that that much with any of their, like, adventure shows. Like, you know, they haven't yet. Like, they haven't yet. Like there's there's so little romance in like the Marvel movies too. There's exactly. So, we want to see some sex, people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we want to yeah. see yeah, sex in like Marvel and our Star Wars. We need to we need to see we need to see people fucking. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. If you're listening, John Favreau and Dave Filoni, put some sex in it. But I think a lot of it also has to do with Zod that they're gonna do this big um, Avengers Endgame type movie. With all the um, characters from Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, Ahsoka, Skeleton Crew, where Grand Admiral Thrawn will be, be the big bad. And I think you that's. Think Grand a, Admiral Thrawn's like Thanos? He's going to be like the Thanos character of this movie. So it's all going to kind of. They all take place at the same time? Yeah, I guess Ahsoka yes. does. Ahsoka. Does, the, does the, the Bad Batch you said was one of them too? Bad Batch is actually right after um, Clone Wars. Now, um, Skeleton Crew. Which Skeleton. Yeah, that's another. Oh, that's the new newer show that's coming out later. Okay. Yeah, that's going to be in the same timeline as Ahsoka, Book of Boba Fett, and Mandalorian. Oh, okay. So all, all those shows will kind of be tied into, yeah. The Bad Batch, uh, yeah, that takes place directly right after the Clone Wars, I believe. Okay. Yeah, so. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, you know. Um, Definitely not as good as season one or season two. It didn't give me that jaw-dropping moment, but it was heartwarming at the same time for Din to welcome Grogu with open arms as his son, you know. And um, you I know. love that weird little scene that they had with um, the droid R5-D4. R5-D4, I think, was the yeah, droid. Yeah, R5. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where like he comes down and shows like he's like scared as he looks over the the um looks over the cliff and then looks around the corner and the, and those little tiny robots come. Those out. mouse droids, yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> that was great. No, that was fantastic. R five is the unsung hero in that one. Yeah. And, uh, and and of course I, I love Grogu um you know driving that IG twelve mm-hmm. you know which oh, uh, no no no, no. <laughs> which sadly has been destroyed uh as in addition to the um um during during that melee with um with the Praetorian guards and uh and oh, they uh, call Praetorian guards. I couldn't remember what they yeah, were. Yeah, those those Praetorian guards are badass looking, man. They've evolved from like the the Royal Guards in, yeah. in Return of the Jedi. And then of course we saw a little bit of them. Well, we saw them of course in Mandalorian. And of course we later we see them in uh The Rise Last Jedi, Mark. Rise of Skywalker. Exactly. Yeah. So Yeah, it's pretty exciting in, in the in that. I mean, of course, um yeah, now that uh, Mandalorian, we're just gonna have to patiently wait for Ahsoka to drop um, later this year. So I'm looking forward to that one as well. Well, I guess the the next big thing is what uh, Secret Invasion. That's gonna be out in June. Secret Invasion is the next series. Yes, that's gonna yeah. be great. I'm looking forward to that one as well. I love Amelia Clark and Game of Thrones. And speaking of Game of Thrones, moving on to HBO. Um, four new members of the House of the Dragon season two. Um, Gail Rankin will play Alice Rivers, the healer and resident of Harrenhal. Um, and uh, Simon Russell Beale will play Sir Simon Strong, the castellan of Harrenhal and great uncle to Lord Laris Strong. Um, Freddie Fox will play Sir Gwen Hightower, son of Otto Hightower and brother to Queen Allison, uh, and uncle to her children, King Aegon. Uh, Queen Helena and Prince Aemond. And then we have Abakar Salim, who play Alan of Hall, a sailor in the Valerian fleet, who served in the Stepstone, Stepstones campaign. So season two of House of Dragon will be ten episodes. Oh, sorry, will be eight episodes, down two episodes from the first season. When, did, when is that, that going to be released? It's going to be. Re- it's in production now. It will probably be um, released next year. In 2024 they haven't announced a date um as far as the uh when that will drop um the other two that seems like a show you'd watch zod i don't know but that's on hbo max um they just dropped a trailer for the upcoming season three of that show so if you're interested that drops um the other two is that what it's called the other two have you heard of it Oh, it's like a it's like a comedy. It's it a comedy. Molly Shannon in it. Does, yep. does that, yeah, yeah. I Ken did, Marino. I, I saw a trailer for it and it looked funny. I haven't yeah, Wanda that. Sykes is in it as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um and um what else? Um on Amazon they're developing a series of the Magnificent Seven based on the movie. Um that's one of the properties that Amazon was able to get from MGM which you mentioned earlier. So they're going to do that as a series. They also are working on RoboCop and Barbershop as other uh, IPs that they obtained. <laughs> RoboCop and Barbershop. That would be quite the mashup. Crossover. Oh, the mashup would be really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know. I feel like movies are just not the same anymore. You know, I don't know why. It's just like there's so much of a selection of things that we could be seeing for them to do like remakes of or like you know even just all these different stories that have never been told but now it's like i don't know i feel like ken's has all of the stuff now 
Yeah, I'm just saying in general, there's, it just, it annoys me. <laughs> well, I mean, there's always, there's always, like, A24 puts out a lot of quality original stuff. I mean, they're they're kind of going yeah. up where they, they they have some franchises too now like they have that franchise for x and pearl and there's going to be max yeah but those always started as original stories yeah so, so that's always and there's always i mean there's always going to be robust indie indie cinema that um has original stories mainly because you know most indie producers and production companies can't afford like the licenses for like these big things right or, make remakes so yeah okay so share the money you know what i mean so at least like these projects get to kind of like actually get in the box office and and go up against because i feel like they have a good hitting fighting chance if you know i feel like it's a it's a problem with the people who are funding the the film industry because basically yeah I just I feel like it's that's what the problem is. It's like if the funders knew where to put the money, then I feel like there'd be a lot more upcoming directives and um, that are being able to get like screen time on big screen. Right. Well, well, how important do you think it is to be on a big screen? That's a thing. Everything is favoring blockbusters now. Yeah, I franchises mean, the, and blockbusters. So in order to see something on the big screen, that's typically where you have to go. Unless, you, like, like you mentioned, Cannes Film Festival, Tribeca was a major film festival. Well, I mean, you think about the budget that Titanic had at the time that it had it. You know, it wasn't. It didn't have. They didn't have the backing that they wanted for. They didn't even have the budget that they wanted for to make to make that film at that time. So it's just like. I feel that if a lot more filmmakers were given the opportunity to have these big backing funders, that they would have an opportunity to sell out the box office. And, um, you know, there would just, it would be, I feel like that's where the change needs to happen in the next five mm-hmm. years. Maybe I'm just, I'm prophetically. Speaking. Well, it is, it is interesting when you think about how like for up until like the 1970s, like uh, up until the 1970s the big blockbusters were still like these original things like the 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 most expensive movie ever made before star wars was cleopatra (laughs) and like was it cleopatra oh with elizabeth taylor yeah with elizabeth taylor that was that was the most expensive movie ever made before star wars and i i don't even think star wars had as big a budget as cleopatra did may have been like until like empire strikes back or something but um it's a uh, and i and i know like you, you you routinely see these attempts where they start to try and redo those kinds of big sprawling but still like original like epic stories like you know or like historical stuff like um like heat cleopatra or something like that and unfortunately they all seem to fail and they don't make the money back and like yeah and that's like that's a that's a big problem too i mean we want like auteurs to have like these huge budgets to work with to make these like interesting challenging really thought provoke provoking subject matter that like changes the way you you know the you know like makes some sort of even if it's a minute change makes a change in each viewer's mm-hmm. life 
but if people aren't buying the tickets for them and it's becoming really difficult to buy tickets for stuff like that when you can see you got all these choices at home with like netflix and like what yeah. the 20 other streaming services there are and everything and yeah, there's. I don't. I don't want to. That's the whole point. I don't want to go to the movies and see some cliche movie that like some big head producer, big head director, like put together and did. Like that's that's not inspiring to me. So like mm-hmm. I'd rather not, and I'd rather not see these like just Marvel movies and just for the point of like going to see a Marvel movie. Like no, yeah. I mean we grew up in this era of you know, some of the best actors of all time, and the same with, like, our, you know, our parents did as well, you know, Al Pacino, Sylvester Stallone, like, I mean, you got to name, like, some really big, heavy hit swingers, I guess, in, in the, um, the film industry that have changed the film industry, Mm -hmm. but it's, like, where is all this, I just don't understand, where's all the money going, like, where is it gone, you know, it's, well, you know, they just did a reboot of uh, White Man Can't Jump. Remember that movie's on? <laughs> it's a, <laughs> that a, seems a, like a pretty unnecessary reboot. But yeah, and like, it's uh, Sinequa uh, Walls and Jack Harlow. Jack Harlow, another musician turned actor. Mm-hmm. And it's a remake of the popular film with Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson. And again, going to back to the you know unoriginal ideas in Hollywood. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I saw the trailer. It looked kind of kind of cool kind of funny you know but uh i, I guess enjoying it, the first one the yeah then one i guess it's okay you know to do another one but uh i don't know it's not gonna but it's it, a, that's that's another example right there when you talk about white men can't jump that came out um when that came out i saw that in the theaters i can't imagine in a million years going to see a movie like that in the theaters now Almost 30 years, what about man. Free Willy? Remember Free Willy? Yeah, yeah, of course I do. Of course. Free Willy is another one, yeah. Yeah, like they had a freaking, they had whales. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of that stuff, um, that's why I'm saying it's not necessarily going to be on the big screen, but they still, I mean, they still have. That's why this one's going to be on Hulu. Yeah. Yeah. Wide yeah. variety of like great stuff that's coming out. It's just, you know, people want to have a choice of where to see it i guess and they don't want to have to spend you know 10 15 bucks each time mm-hmm. to go see a movie and something is kind of lost with that because then you have I feel like uh, the magic's lost yeah that's, that's where that's where it's lost it's the magic i don't i don't disagree with you there there is something kind of lost with that and there's always mm-hmm. going to be like um there's always going to There's a hope that there's always going to be, like, like, you know, Al and I live in Baltimore, where there's pretty much only one good indie theater anymore in, you know, pretty much in the entire city. There used to be at least, like, four or five, and, like, they've all closed down except for the Charles Theater. And the Senator. Well, Senator still plays mostly blockbusters, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's interesting that you said... um... Um, about um, you know trying to do original content, but sometimes it doesn't land. Like this uh, particular film called Ghosted, which shot in uh, some scenes in DC with some friends that worked on it. Um, and it was with Chris Evans and Anna de Armas. Did it? Not land? I thought it was pretty successful. It apparently uh, 
didn't got didn't get very good reviews at all. Oh really? Huh. Yeah. And then you get two big names that you think is gonna you know draw in the viewers, um, which did initially, of course, added Armis and Chris Evans, but then of course it didn't. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it didn't a get bad the reviews movie wanted. Gonna, gonna kill it no matter what. <laughs> and if it's if it's a poorly written movie or if it's not if if it's illogical and dumb, you know, that's going to no matter who, no matter what the pedigree is involved with it. I mean, yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes for critics. Oh, okay. Um, But audience score of 60%. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, the the consensus is is pretty negative reviews on it. But, uh, I mean, you know, the title is interesting. It's called Ghosted. So it sounds like they're telling us that somebody's going to get ghosted. But it's, uh, it's it's a reference to Chris Evans' character about being ghosted. Which leads him to frantically texting Anna Armis's character the next day, mm-hmm. um, and then it ends up just going on a tangent to like an action movie <laughs> from the from the rom com, you know. So I mean, it had a good intention to be an original movie. It blended the the genres of action and um and rom com, but it just didn't land. Just didn't land at all. Um. And then, of course, on Apple, you have because that's that film's on Apple. Um, Captain Marvel herself, Brie Larson, has a new show on Apple TV called Lessons in Chemistry. This actually looks really good. Um, it's set in the 1950s, where she plays a woman who's forced to put her dream of being a scientist on hold amid dealing with a patriarchal society and the norms that women are meant to be housewives. So she's kind of like breaking the mold from the early 50s, where a lot of women were housewives. And she's like this brilliant like scientist. So um, that's something to look uh, look out for. And um, Patricia Arquette's got a series, a new series on Apple called High Desert, and it's an eight episode dark comedy uh, from Jay Roach and produced by Ben Stiller. And she's a former drug dealer and recovering addict who seeks a new path after her mother's death, and decides to become a private investigator in the desert town of Yucca Valley, California. Seems like a redemption story for her, for sure. <laughs> said Patricia Arquette. Is that Patricia who's... Arquette? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've always really loved her stuff. I'm glad she's to see she's still working. She's great. She's also in Severance on Apple TV as well. Now I'm not a Trekkie, but a lot of people are talking about um, Star Trek Picard's uh, finale. Zod, did you ever get into uh, Picard on on Paramount? I don't have Paramount Plus, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I couldn't. I have. Um, I've often said that like there's like one major blind spot that I have when it comes to like geekiness, and that's, and that's Star, Star Trek. Trek. And dude, yeah. we had the same void in our, our geekiness side. Yeah, yeah. I always preferred Star Wars over Star Trek. Yeah, and I've had numerous people tell me about how I should watch Star Trek. I should watch Star Trek. I know. We probably would both love it, but it's like, it's just one of those things that eluded us. And, and it the... feels like it's too late now because there's so much to go back to. <laughs> and I like... mean, I figure I watch some of the next generation, but like the Picard is supposed to, you know, you get a lot of those same characters, especially in season three. It's pretty much a reunion. Yeah. And by this final episodes, there's a Borg threat that was eliminated. Um, Thanks to uh, Jean-Luc Picard, Patrick Stewart, and the crew of the uh, USS Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they borrowed the um, Enterprise ship that was 
uh, at a fleet museum <laughs> to uh, to bring back the return of the, the Enterprise, the iconic Enterprise, which I'm sure made a lot of fanboys cry when they were watching it, of course. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is what I'm really looking forward to because this is a guilty pleasure of mine, and that's Twilight. <laughs> They're developing a television series by Lionsgate, uh, and it's going to be an adaptation of the, the saga um, – Although they don't know much at all, no network streamer has been attached yet. Um, but apparently they do have a writer uh, to write the script. So I'm just curious if they're just going to be redoing the movies in series form like they're doing with the Harry Potter. And if they are, why? I mean, why not just do a sequel? I mean, I just don't understand. What's the name of the author who wrote all those Twilight Stephanie books? Stephanie Meyer. Stephanie Meyer. Okay. Yeah. I mean, is she still like writing? Like, does she is she still making Twilight stuff? I don't think she has. I think she. I mean, she she isn't. You know, that's a good question. I'm not sure if she's written anything post Twilight, but she actually will be involved with the project. Yeah, like it, I'm actually kind of surprised, like, because uh, it seems like that would be a cash cow for her forever, just to like pop right. out these. Right. It's probably the same way why J.K. Rowling didn't write any more. Um, Harry Potter books. Although, I mean, he did. She did write that that play, the curse. She wrote the play exactly. And then she wrote like all these like mystery novels and stuff, like under pen yeah. names. And and then she, you know, wrote terrible tweets about LGBTQ people. And so that got it, her a lot of heat. And that's uh, yeah, you know, that's yeah. one thing that yeah. But um. In all cases, so, so, I, so she's still active in writing. I'll say that. But yeah. It's um. Yeah. But I guess I mean maybe it's like you know you get to a point where like you know it's it obviously would be a lot easier just to remake. I, I've never seen the Twilight movie, so I don't know. Like, How I have know, you not seen Twilight? Uh, you'd be <laughs> that would be a guilty pleasure of yours too. <laughs> I will say I will say I have seen that one scene, that one baseball scene numerous yeah. times. Oh, yeah. And that is an awesome scene. That's an awesome <laughs> scene. And a I'll lot of it, that... a lot of it has to do with the way that pitcher does her wind up where she like does that perfect point with her toe. I was like, yeah. I don't know why I found that like hypnotic to watch. Oh, that. She she's a hypnotic uh, actress. You're talking about Ashley Green, right? Love, is that... uh, yeah, loved watching Twilight series. Loved it. Uh, yeah. You watch not... all the movies, right? Yeah, oh yeah, I saw all of them. Definitely. Um, would you look forward to seeing a series like a reboot? Like a what type of series? Like a TV series? They're good. They're, that's the thing. They're they're talking about bringing a TV series. Um, mm. But I really think they should just do um, an original story based and bring some of the original actors back. That's how I think they should handle it. But I mean, but, I just think they should drop Kristen Stewart because I don't like her as an actor. <laughs> really? I actually, uh, I actually yeah. I like Kristen Stewart a lot. She's done. No, a lot. I don't. Yeah. I feel like it's only the same face that I can see you do like over and over and over again. Oh my she's god. She's kind of, you know, it's kind of similar to Tom Cruise. I feel like he's a uh, one dimensional. You know, just the way that he acts, it's he. She. she Very limited. In, she doesn't in, do well, much. well, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise as an actor kind of completely, um, completely changed the way I looked at him. When I saw Tropic Thunder, <laughs> where he plays a completely different character than what you would expect him to play, and um, but I don't know, I 
I'm trying to think. What uh, Kristen Stewart? She was great in that like Lady Diana movie. What was that called? Oh yeah, the the Princess Diana movie. Yeah, she was yeah. fantastic in that one. Yeah. Yeah, she was nominated for that one, I believe, at a Golden Globe. She didn't get an Oscar nom, but she got a, a Golden Globe nomination for that, I believe. I I just don't understand the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, but as far as the Twilight Saga is concerned, I would definitely be, I'd be down to to see the show. Yeah, maybe yeah. that, maybe that'll be my introduction to the world of Twilight because I've never ever seen. Any I've, I have a feeling you'll enjoy them. You'll get a guilty pleasure out of them, Zod. I think you would like them. Um, now, uh, Jessica, you attended the Tribeca Film Festival, which now has been rebanded as uh, Tribeca Festival because they're. Not only doing a film, but also television. And, uh, Yay! Yeah, they're bringing so, in TV now. So yeah. Exciting. Yeah, so some of the TV film, TV shows that we'll be showcasing include um, Full Circle from HBO Max, now just called Simply Max. Uh, that's going to be uh, Steven Soderbergh, and it stars Dennis Quaid and Claire Danes. And then also AMC's The Walking Dead. That's, what's that? I said, love me some Claire Danes. Oh yeah, Claire Danes. Who doesn't who doesn't love Claire Danes from Homeland and My So Called Life? Which Zod, I know you're a big uh, My So Called yeah, Life fan. Yeah, I was a huge fan of that. And same with uh, if you haven't seen Fleischman is in Trouble, that's a fantastic. That was a that that's her, been her most recent project, and that was yeah. Um, I'm excited I, because I, I, I um that resonated with me maybe a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> My wife uh, just gave me the finger. She's just like right over there. Uh, the Walking Dead Dead City with Lauren Cohen and Jeffrey Dean Morgan will also be a part of par- Tribeca. And of course, you know, this is the first spinoff after The Walking Dead ended its 11 season run. Um, um, t- uh, season two, season two of Apple TV Swagger. Uh, will also be a part of it as well. Um, and just to name a few. So a, a lot more. And um, we can probably talk about the movies uh, next week that will be a part of it. Um, let's see. Coachella just wrapped uh, their two-weekend uh, uh, stint in uh, in Indio, California. Um, the latest uh, um, performance, actually, the um, this past weekend, Zendaya uh, returned to the stage for a first time uh, as a part of a performance with Labyrinth. Um, and she actually featured two hits from her show Euphoria. Um, she performed the songs "All of Us" from the show's seventh uh, for the show's first season, and the song "I'm Tired" from the second season. So um, that's cool. Zendaya, I mean, she's a trom- does she, trom- does she have enough music to do like a full set, or did she just appear and sing those two songs? I think she just said those two songs. Yeah, okay. because a labyrinth had the set. I'm not even familiar with this. Very good, of- very good. That's hilarious, Mike. <laughs> uh, are you are you familiar with Labyrinth, Sod? I am not. Yeah, neither am I. <laughs> so she I just feel like it. I should I should know who they are, but they don't sound familiar to me. That's not familiar to me either. <laughs> yeah, but if you miss any of the performances, you can catch them on their uh, YouTube page, the Coachella YouTube page, if you want to check out some of the performances you missed. I mean, you know, I've always wanted to knock a Coachella off my bucket list, but then you know I've been to so many great music festivals like Lollapalooza. You know I'm gonna go to the Ocean's Calling Festival. I've been to Firefly, so I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I guess it would be cool, but I wasn't too impressed with the lineup personally. 
um, this year, but, uh, you know, it's for different folks, I guess, whatever. Um, yeah. And we've, yeah, we've, we've finally reached that age where our musical taste is starting to multiply <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then, like, I, I'm so excited that I'm going to see LCD Sound System later They're this. Great yeah, later in 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 like a month or two. Yeah. And I still consider them like a new band. And then it just like hit me. I was like, oh my god, their first album came out in 2007, and that was uh, that was 16 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, let's wrap wrap this up. Um, we're gonna do our little uh, improv segment, but uh, just a couple things to wrap up the show. Um, Matthew Perry from Friends decided to uh, revise his memoir, Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. Apparently, he said some disparaging remarks about Keanu Reeves, which apparently is crazy because Keanu is like one of the most genuinely loved, universally loved actors, uh, you know, globally. You know, people love him, talk about how great he is. But basically, the controversial excerpt is like people like Chris Farley and River Phoenix have passed away, but while Keanu Reeves still walks among us. And I think he was just trying to think of an actor, and he put in Keanu Reeves' name. He said he couldn't even put himself. But I guess it was a really poor taste, you know, um, for the memoir saying that Chris Farley and River Phoenix are gone by while Keanu still mock walks among us. Uh, he apologized for it. He said that if he ever runs into Keanu uh, Reeves, he will definitely apologize in person. So there you go. <laughs> um, Richard Lewis revealed that he has Parkinson's. So uh, because of that, he will be retiring from stand-up comedy. Dude's no spring chicken. You can watch him and curb your enthusiasm. He looks very frail and yeah, he's a old. He looks like I mean, yeah, he's definitely <laughs> seen better days. Right, exactly. But he's still a funny guy, and they they just wrapped season twelve of Curb Your Enthusiasm. But we wish we wish uh, Richard Lewis well, you know. Well, it's like it was. It, what was his, the illness that he had? That just um, Parkinson's. Parkinson's. Yeah. He just announced on Twitter that he'd been uh, diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And um, our well wishes go to Ray Romano. Uh, apparently, he recently had a stent put in his heart, and he had 90% blockage in his main artery. And uh, Jessica, you were with me when we ran to Ray Mar- uh, Romano right after, um, I believe it was a Tribeca screening that we went to. Yeah, and I remember that. Yeah, we He's such a nice him. guy. Does his voice does his voice sound similar in real life compared to what it usually sounds like on <laughs> the things he's been in? Oh, uh, because you see, I think you're because you're you're comparing him to the the, the everybody loves Raymond. Because, you know, he's kind of moved on and is now doing a lot of like you know serious dramas again. You know, so uh, um, no, I, I, if you watch him in other things, like he's actually in the, that uh, Irishman. Um, yeah, film. that's right. He is. Oh my and gosh! He's actually, it was actually a big departure from. If, yeah. if you're comparing him to uh, Everybody Loves Raymond, then yeah. <laughs> and then um, we had some sad rest in pieces. I'll, I'll, we always like end with that. Um, this is really sad. Len Goodman from Dancing with the Stars. Remember him? Uh, Zod. He was one of the uh, the prominent judges for many seasons. Sadly, died. At the age of 78, he just retired from Dancing with Stars last year as one of the judges. And he had been suffering from bone cancer. So um, rest in peace. 
Also, Australian comedian and entertainer Barry Humphreys. I don't know if you've heard of him, Jessica, from Australia. Yes, he, I have. You have? Is best known for his character, Dame Edna Everidge? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I was seeing, I've seen quite a few industry posts this week about Barry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Dame Edna that had the show on BBC and was on PBS for a long time. I believe so. I believe so. So, so yeah. I mean, that's pretty international, not just Australia. (laughs) So. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Also, Moonbin, a member of the K-pop band Astro, and one half of the musical duo Moonbin and Santa had died at the young age of 25. There's been a lot of like K-pop stars kind of either taking their own lives or just dying really young. Being a K-pop star, um, I mean, you you know, like, how much their lives are controlled by, like, their handlers, like, those K-pop, in most of those K-pop groups. Really? And, um, yeah, well, you, you... A lot of it's mandatory military service. That That's, a, that's another thing they have to go through. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, the, uh, BTS, I think some of the members are... That's why they had to take um, a hiatus, because... Some of them are in the military right now. They have to serve two years. Mhm, mhm, yeah. Yeah. But it, it, even even beyond that, I mean, there's like all sorts of these like really dark stories about how, um, how much they're like controlled by these like Svengali type figures, kind of similar to yeah. what like other like boy bands and girl groups in um in America. It was like. You know what? What was the guy's name? Who the guy who ran New Kids on the Block? And yes, Ron, Ron Perlman. That was his name. Yes, yes. I think I think that's his name. There's a there's an actor named Ron Perlman. It might be. Oh no, similar. Lewis Lewis Perlman. That was Lewis Perlman. There you go. Yeah, there yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ron yeah, Perlman. no, it, it's really really crazy. Yeah, but rest in peace, Moonbin. Yeah, also, so, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, I was just—I was just saying it's—it's—it's uh, it's, it's really tragic, but it's almost—it—it's uh, almost understandable that there would be, you know, probably like really rampant like depression when you're in those like in this like really really this gilded cage where you have to do you have to do you know this insane schedule of shows. So anyway yeah. that's cheery let's move on to the next thing and then coco cadal from kokomo city uh was fairly shot at the age of 35 um her real name is rashida williams a transgender woman uh featured in the award-winning documentary kokomo city which was at the F- sundance film festival in january um yeah i mean that's really, really certainly sad um due to um transgender women being or transgender men and women being target of violence and uh yeah that's that's really really sad so rest in peace kokomo and of course with death we celebrate life people that are another uh, trip around the sun <laughs> happy birthday shirley mclean 89 happy birthday barbara streisand 81 she's a, a an icon uh cedric the entertainer is 59 uh Dejiman Hansu from Shazam's odd. Uh he is um 59 as well. Wow, he's, he's older 59. than I thought he was. Oh, he yeah. looks I uh, cannot believe that Bob Shazam's 81. I just can't believe it. I know, isn't that crazy? And uh, you know, Shirley MacLaine, um what was there's like an old movie that I saw with her in it. Another and, legend, yeah. She was 
I, it's a, I can't remember what movie it was from the 60s. Um, it's with George Rappard. And she is absolutely a stellar knockout in that movie. I'd never seen her like that before. And it just it made so much sense why she became the big star, the big star that she was. Yes, absolutely. Also, Aiden Gillen from Game of Thrones, Littlefinger. He's mm-hmm. 55. He also he also played Mayor Carsetti of Baltimore on the HBO wall. The Wire. That's right, yeah. Zod. Uh, happy birthday, Aiden. Um, Linda Clark from the OC is 54. She's awesome. Uh, Rory McCann um, from Game of Thrones is 54. I, I believe he was um, Hound. He was the Hound. Um, Eric Balfour from 24 is 46. Rebecca Mater is 46. Austin Nichols from One Tree Hill is 43. Um, Kelly Clarkson is 41. Happy birthday, Kelly. Uh, <laughs> Tyson Ritter all feel old uh, Kelly Clarkson. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know, right? She was like the original winner of American Idol. Yeah. In her twenties. Yeah. Uh, was, she, was she even twenty by then? Was she or is she was she like Yeah, I think the age requirements you had to be under twenty five, so she was definitely uh in her early twenties. Um Tyson Ritter of All American Rejects is thirty nine. Uh, Stranger Things actor Joe Keery. So another Stranger Things tie-in. He's 31 today. Um, Jack Quaid of The Hunger Games and From the Boys is 31. Mm-hmm. And that's birthdays. Happy birthdays. Uh, so we're gonna uh, we're gonna do a little fun little. Uh, let's do five minutes of uh, uh This is the first time we're ever doing this on. BTV. Five minutes might be a lot. Let's stick with two minutes. For two now. minutes. We're good two yeah. minutes. You really, you really, really start to feel it when, uh, you know, after about the second minute or so. You okay. Really so Jessica's it. gonna name a word. I'm gonna throw a word. Zod, okay. So you'll start the scenario, right? I, I just thought of there's a way we can do this where okay. one person puts out a name, the next person puts out um, an occupation, the next person puts out an adjective, oh, and wow. then the original person who does the name is that character and then starts a scene. And we do that three times for, uh, for each person to, to do it. Okay. Would you, would you guys want to do that? Yeah. Occupation. And we'll go in circle where. So like one person says a name and it could be like, you know, Winslow Slatterly. And then the next person, the the next person would say like an occupation. Uh, the next person usually says a um, an adjective, so it could be like the winsome, winsome. And uh, the third person, and since I'm feeling very alliterative, window washer. And then that person, then the person who originally got out the name starts a scene as that character, and then the other two people are other characters that they have to invent for themselves or they're gifted. It seems like a lot. I think we should only do one round. All right, all right. Let's just. Uh, okay, maybe that that's a little too much for now. <laughs> maybe on the next iteration. Are you kidding me? It's just literally okay. One person says the name. The next person says um, states the location, and then uh-huh. the third person states the character. Yeah. Well, the name, the or you, you could do the occupation. Yeah. Occupation. Yeah. Okay, so we have name. Okay, Location. I'll say the name 
first. I'll be the the person who um, who instig who instigates the first scene. So I will I'll say a name. Um, um, Jackson Kesteridge. Jackson Kesteridge. Now Al. Okay. You give a you give an adjective. The handsome. The handsome. Okay. And Jessica, what is uh, what's the mm -hmm. occupation? Dog walker. <laughs> okay, give me a second. All right. So it's so difficult when I go out for uh, go out and take these um, take these take these fine little pooches out, and everybody wants to talk to me. I don't understand how you do that, Win uh, Winston, when you're out on your when you're out on your um, when you're when you're when when you're out doing your rounds. Is that Jackson? Oh my gosh, Jackson! Oh, you're so cute. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, Miss Mitzi. I've all I I I I get myself all dolled up just for just to see you. Now, are they oh, looking the at the dogs, dogs Jackson? Beautiful. Are they looking at you or the dogs? Because the dogs are very handsome as well. <laughs> well, the dogs, uh, the dogs are like the perfect accoutrement for uh, for my for my day. But Mitzi. Winston, tell me, how have you been? It has been so long. It has been a while. That's that's why we only see you walking your dogs. You might have to tell me where you've been, because that's all I've seen you is doing walking your dogs. But then again, <laughs> that is your occupation, though, isn't it? So yes, yes, yes. It pays the bills. Modeling contracts aren't what they used to be. <laughs> now, have you ever done any modeling gigs with your dogs? <laughs> oh, they did want me to model for uh, model do some modeling with the dogs, but uh, let's just say that it wouldn't have helped my career very much because uh, I I don't I don't do those kinds of publications. <laughs> <laughs> now, would your favorite uh, position be doggy style? <laughs> <laughs> That is not improv, Al. <laughs> End scene. End scene. This, this, this is the part where where the person like switches out the the top. Yeah, this, this top is the part where the, kinda, the other person runs out. And runs like, out when when it's, it's, it's a kind of tanking, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, see, that, that was fun. That was a first time BTB on the spot, impromptu improv, uh, and I think that was a uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, do you guys want to do like uh, your own things, or like do you want to cut it off here? This is good, this is good to give uh, the listeners just a little bit of taste because I I think I'd like to bring this uh, segment back for a future show. Okay, okay, because like I know like I was uh, sort of um, taking up most of that scene, and I don't know. If, no, uh, no, that was great. I mean, you are the the improv king, so uh... <laughs> not the improv. <laughs> well, it's kind of when you also don't have me on the screen because I would have been able to do some like yeah 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 also think... we could do like some I don't know some improv I guess sounds like mm, mm, 
dum, 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 yeah. and then somebody else does like another sound. And... Oh yeah, yeah, I love that game where like uh, you do the your you or the one where you're building the machine where like each of us are like a big a a different cog in a machine, but you can't really do that. You can't do that over with the like, camera. Yeah, we'll yeah, have to yeah. So we're going to do this segment again in the future, um, uh, Zod, since you are – okay, I mean, you, you, okay, the Improv King might be a little bit uh, a little bit too gracious, but uh, – Well, that's a that's – a, I, do, I do thrive on hyperbole, so okay. <laughs> I will – We're going to do this segment again. It was fun. It was an experiment, and uh, let's wrap, wrap up tonight's show, guys. Wow, this has been an incredible show from top to bottom. We'd like to thank, of course – our amazing special guest, Jonathan Hogue, the creator of Stranger Sings. Woo! Woo! <laughs> Check it out, strangersings.com to get your tickets for the final shows. May 7, it's all done, baby. So if you're in New York or if you're New York local, if you're a fan of Stranger Things, go see this show. It's an amazing show. And, of course, our amazing panel, starting with Mike the General Zod, the Persian Prince of Pop Culture. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And the lovely Aussie, Jessica Ray, the entertainer. Yes, it's me. <laughs> yeah, Jessica. Me. Yeah, be sure to be sure to mention um, what's it? My husband. The, the, my husband. One more time. Oh yes. Okay, so it is New York Theater. Um, I was going to say film festival because my brain's on film right now, but no, right. it is New York theater festival. We're in New York theater festival and it is a play called my husband, my husband, John has early Alzheimer's and forgets his husband, Tim together. They recount stories from their past played out in real time by younger versions of themselves in order to try to get John to remember. The story takes place in the intimate setting of John's hospital bedroom, where they are later joined by their daughter, Joyce. As a gay family, they not only have to deal with the trials and tribulations of caring for someone with Alzheimer's, but also have to pull together in finding joy within each other's perspectives, looking back on their lives to retell experiences from different points of view. Moments, perspective and symbolism is what makes this play so raw, sensitive and serendipitous. With some comical relief, we do feel that many of our audience members will truly relate. So this is a shout out to Meet Our Production and Team and Crew, the playwright director, Houston S. Watson, and it's his debut. So it's his first show debuting on New York Theatre Festival stages. And we have the assistant director producer, which is Scott Arcy, and assistant director, stage manager producer, which is Jessica Ray Taylor. That's me. Yes. Um, thank you. And our sponsors, um, we have our cast is to be announced. Our sponsors are the Salvation Army Thrift Store, creating history with the first ever partnership for my husband in New York Theatre Festival. We would like to thank this organization for supporting our off-Broadway debut by donating clothes for our show so we're gonna put into the indiegogo um we're gonna add in the link for the indiegogo so you can all visit our indiegogo we have a facebook page and we have an instagram page as well guys um and we'll also put the tickets where you could buy the tickets we have a link tree as well so thank you so much for having us 
Yes. Um, on Below the Belt show. We are so excited to be here and I'm I'm excited. Thank you, Jessica. You're the lovely Aussie and we love having you on BTB. And of course, I'm Al Celebrity Soto, your host with the most. And closing out tonight's show, our in on-location Monster Mania interview with Andy Beersack, uh, also known as Andy Black, from the film American Satan, um, crazy horror film, uh, which spawned um, Paradise City, um, the series, uh, from that feature film. And that was with Malcolm McDowell and uh with um, many other great actors um it was a crazy crazy film if you haven't seen american satan and anyways, i got to talk with him at monster mania this is closing out tonight's show so on behalf of jessica ray the entertainer mike the general zod i'm al celebrity see you next week with our talks about the upcoming white house correspondence and of course, uh, the upcoming Bup Kiss premiere. Uh, so that's going to be good stuff to talk about uh, next week's BTV if I make it. <laughs> it's a lot of partying. <laughs> and we'll see you guys next week. Until then, peace. Bye. Bye bye. Yay. Excellent. All right, guys, we're here at Andy Beersack, a.k.a. Andy Black. Yes. Here at Monster Mania. How's your Monster Mania experience been so far? It's been fantastic. This is uh, Sunday that we're doing this. Um, the last two days have been incredible. You know, I've, I've been doing these, I just started doing these conventions, horror-based conventions, uh, just last year, and I've done a handful of them, and this has been one of my favorites so far. Yeah, because it, it focuses on the horror genre that we love so much. Uh, and, of course, America Satan... Paradise City, mm-hmm. phenomenal, phenomenal uh, genre and phenomenal franchise. And I guess the fans want to know about Paradise City Season 2. Well, you know, I don't have any additional information beyond what's already out there, but, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens. But we'll yeah. love to see it if it, if it does happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll see what, what happens next for Johnny in his life. I know, wow. And that first film, America Satan, if you haven't seen it, I implore everyone to go check it out. It's one of the wildest, craziest films I've seen. And you work with legends. I mean, I mean Malcolm McDowell. Absolutely. Talk, talk to us about your experience working with, with such a legend in Malcolm. You know, Malcolm's obviously... Um, it was interesting for me because I had very limited experience with on-screen acting at the time of doing the movie. So yeah. um, having the opportunity to work with Malcolm and... You know, him going off script and doing new stuff and changes on scenes and stuff that really added quite a bit to the scenes. Yeah. It was, you know, you're kind of learning as you go. And I, I, I feel like I can credit him so much in, in just learning how to really be present in something and embody a character, you know, and, and a lovely person. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I'm a Game of Thrones fan. And John Bradley, oh. Samuel Tarley, yeah. worked very closely. What was your experience working with John? Uh, I mean, working with John was incredible. And uh, he's so exceedingly talented and so amazing. But um, I'm really lucky that John and I have become extremely close, and he's still one of my closest friends in my life. I just saw him a few weeks ago, and um, just one of the best. All-time greatest people, like top five greatest people of all time, John Bradley. Wow. Now, what comparisons would you say from you as as Andy versus Johnny Faust? How how would you say your differences uh, and your similarities for both characters? Well, I would say that in terms of an origin story, you know, they're very similar in the him coming from Ohio and moving yeah. to L.A. To, to be a rock star and all that. 
And then once that ends, our paths diverge quite a bit. And, yeah. you know, his path to, to rock stardom and everything was uh, very different. It's a little to, crazy. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, and he's a little bit more solemn and serious of a person. I, yeah. I tend to, you know, I've certainly brewed, but I, I think I have a little bit more levity in my life than Johnny. He's <laughs> He's got a lot of, like, crazy things going on, so not much time for humor. Um, but, yeah. you know, I, I love the character, absolutely. Yeah. What was your favorite scene to shoot uh, in American Satan? Um, boy, the whole experience was so fun. I just think of like fun times with the cast. I mean, Ben Bruce just just laughing and having a great time. When we did the stuff at the whiskey, getting like getting to perform on stage, so, you yeah. know, songs that weren't mine, but like the idea of I've spent my whole career yeah. being on stage in a in a real band and then going on stage and like pantomiming stuff that isn't yeah. me singing or whatever. It was a very yeah. odd experience, but still right. very fun, you know. Yeah. And how about your favorite experience from Paradise City? Uh, working with Mark Boone Jr. Any day that I had with Boone, um, yeah. you know, a big, big fan of his career. Obviously, everybody loves Sons of Anarchy and Mandalorian oh, yeah. and so many other things. And he's, oh yeah, Mandalorian uh, too, yeah, yeah, just a gem of a person, just an incredible actor and, and a great guy to work with. Nice. Now, are there any other uh, projects that you like, dream projects you love to work with on the acting side? Yeah, I mean, there's some stuff that I've been involved in recently that's coming out that I oh, can't really cool. talk about yet, but stuff in the horror genre and in this world. Awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. We can't wait to hear about that. And what's the latest with Black Veil Brides? Music-wise and touring-wise. Well, we're making new music right now, and hopefully we'll be back out uh, before too long on tour in the States and around the world. So probably by the end of the year, there'll be some news. Nice. And I spent some time looking through uh, your music videos. I'm just, I love the, the arts behind your music videos. You take every video very seriously. Yeah. Um, tell us about the process and deciding, um, because there's a lot of theatrics in your uh, in your music videos. Yeah. I've been, you know, I've been fortunate to work with some incredible people over the years, and I've yeah. learned quite a bit from them in terms of you know, just how to tell the story visually. Obviously, I worked with Patrick Fogarty for years. Um, yeah. He kind of taught me the ropes, and then I've, I've directed the last handful of videos that we've done and um, worked with Vicente and so many other incredible people. So, um, you know, the idea of being able to visually represent and, and tell the story of these songs, whether it's on a concept record or just being able to show um, sort of an aesthetic representation of what I had hoped the lyrics would, would you know, I guess bring about in someone's mind, um, it's a pretty great thing, and it's one of the things that, you know, obviously there's no MTV... There's no necessarily like a major outlet for music videos. That's true, so, you're right. Um, there's good and bad to that. The bad, I suppose, is just that the exposure is there's so many videos coming out on YouTube and stuff every day. The yeah. good of it is you can kind of do whatever you want, and there's not somebody yes. checking on the video and making sure it's only a certain way. So um, I've been very fortunate, again, the fact that I got to direct a bunch of our videos, and, yes. um, you know, it's, it's really fulfilling. Yeah, um, in the end, I mean, wow, just so many, so many great, great songs and tracks, and I'm a fan of your work, man. Thank you, I appreciate yeah, it, thanks. Absolutely, well, guys, the one only Andy Black here uh, at Monster Mania, Hunt Valley, Maryland, more great interviews to come, and Andy, thanks so much for talking with us, and if you could, let us know who you are, <laughs> whoa, let us know who you are, um, throw out a plug for whatever you want, and let us know you're on Below the Belt Show. I'm Andy from Blackville Brides, and I am on Below the Belt Show. Nice. Well, it has been a ill show tonight, and I think we have all learned some valuable lessons. This is your bot for the bad boys of Baltimore saying, Until next time, keep chilling. Like a villain. Bye, bye, bye.